0: blog talk radio all
1: right all right yeah uh you guys want to start the show let's start the show
0: On the top of the house, and he's looking in the distance, and the mushroom crowd comes up. Oh, I must have those
2: power
3: I, it. You know, suddenly there's a blackout, and they lost all communication. And what happens next? What what do you do next?
1: We'll be right back. Mom, I can't find the sugar. Good morning, serialized. Welcome to Saturday morning serial. As always, your uh, your guide through these deep waters of pop culture. It is I, Dan Grimshay. And joining us for this ride, as always, is Marquis. E. Say hey to the people, Marquis. E. Hey hey to you, Grimshay. Oh <laughs> and you people can just suck it. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Well, I'm speaking to you specifically because we're here
4: to celebrate the Jericho decennial.
1: The 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 Jeremiah Banana Bowl.
4: Jericho, a show that Cherry I,
1: flavored edibles. You're
4: the only one Jer, who,
1: Jer, was, who Jer,
4: you are the only friend left that has not seen Jericho.
1: Jerry Fallout.
4: Jericho. Jer.
1: Jericho Jergo. Jerich
4: I'm not even I don't even know where to start. Um this is, <laughs> <laughs> I've been trying to get you to watch this show for years. This is the show that 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 famously got canceled way too early and a bunch of fans. I was a fan then, but I
1: wasn't I wasn't a fan.
4: Like these <laughs> – this is the – So you were watching it when it was
1: on the air before it got canceled? Is that I what did. you're saying?
4: I saw episodes on TV of it
1: oh, before it got canceled. Back in the olden backpack times yes, when you yes, had to before, watch before episodes on television like as live. they aired. Yep, exactly. I see.
4: And then it got canceled, and then – Something happened. Something magical. Something amazing.
1: Oh, so this this is the story of germ Jericho. Jer, Jer, it's pops and fuzzes. I I have no idea what you're saying, buddy. But you sound excited. But why don't you tell me everything you know about the show starting now? Go.
4: Okay. All right. Here we go. I. You know what? There's only one thing that could save us now.
1: Oh, do we need a hero?
4: We need a montage. A montage. We need a even montage. Better. All right, so what I did is last week I talked to about a dozen of the Jericho Rangers. Who who are these
1: Jericho Rangers?
4: They're the maniacs that sent CBS a whole lot of peanuts.
1: Oh, I've heard of that story. Exactly.
4: And so I rounded up a bunch of them with with the help of some very lovely friends at the Saving Jericho uh, booth. At San Diego Comic-Con.
1: Nah, that's right. You see them every year. Every year. See? You go down and hang out with your Jericho buddies. I do every, every year, year. year. And I take
4: a bunch of those cool tattoos that they give you. Yeah. And I talk to her all the time. Anyway, this is
1: awesome. I drive and into that booth. That is a that is a passionate fan base. Absolutely. You guys are – you make me want to see the show.
4: Well, But, but what else can you do? Unste- instead of you having to watch it, <laughs> you're going to hear
1: this <laughs> montage. <laughs> so –
4: Magic interview machine, give me a montage.
1: Yeah, pull out the montage. No stops.
5: Uh, Well, I am uh, here in Canada and uh, I am a municipal politician. A filmmaker and I own a movie theater and I was and still am a big fan of the Jericho uh, television show.
4: Wow, you have the trifecta. Nice.
5: I Uh, I absolutely am the busiest man on the planet.
4: (laughs) I would agree. Uh, What is it about Jericho that inspired you to be a fan?
5: uh well first and foremost i was attracted to it because i i am a fan of the uh uh the post apocalyptic uh you know genre of uh, literature and television um as a person in my <clears throat> 50 plus years uh i grew up in the midst of the uh, cold war and always wondering if there's going to be a tomorrow and so that was always a scenario that uh uh you know always played in my mind and was always of great interest to me um Uh, It's sort of, I guess, a kind of a morbid curiosity, but kind of a, uh, you know, a way to deal with uh, the pressures of the Cold War and the pressures, uh, you know, around the world and to think that there is a potential future in the midst of the worst of uh, worst situations. So that's first and foremost the main reason. Um, once I got into the show, I mean, just the, 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 the quality of the performances, the story, the writing, I mean, I was just completely uh, hooked. And I think the thing that took me from that point to actually becoming a, a an advocate or a super fan of the show was actually it became one of the first shows that i became aware of of the extended viewing experience that they were experimenting with and the fact that um it wasn't just a tv show the tv show actually built a community through its forums through the web episodes and as a as a professional in the film and television industry that excited me and interested me so i started watching that with great interest and and uh uh, and participating uh, on on the forums, and ultimately got sucked into the uh, vacuum of becoming a fanboy myself.
6: Hmm. Jericho is a lot more of a, in my opinion, a fiction element, where you know it's it's taking place in the real world with a real situation that could realistically happen. Um, in modern time with characters, people, and experiences that we can relate to. Uh, And for me, that really hit home, and it really uh, sparked uh, the fandom of of Jericho. At Comic-Con, I I, I remember watching Jericho uh, at at Comic-Con, which was pretty awesome. I think they... I remember, I think they premiered the first episode, I think it was, mm-hmm. uh, live, when, like, right before season one, it was really awesome. I'm just like, wow, this is a great show. And then the next the next season, uh, or next summer, I should say, at Comic-Con, they had uh, you know, Lenny James was signing, signing autographs and was at another panel talking about Jericho and talking about the the graphic novel and about season two, and it was, it was a really great experience.
4: How have you participated in the fan campaigns?
7: Well, when it was first um, aired, I guess, that Jericho was not going to be renewed for a second season. Oh, I was hot. Just like any other fan, I guess, of, of the show at that time. And I never really been that interested in a, in a show as much as I was with Jericho. I mean, I knew most of the the, uh, the, the actors who played the characters in it. I mean, I've seen them on different uh, programs and stuff. So, and I know that uh, Gerald McRaney was one of my all-time favorites. I mean, I practically grew up watching any of his shows that he's ever done. So then i i got i got onto the message boards and the, uh, on CBS and there were just people ranting about how stupid you know CBS was about canceling the show and and then there was talk about well let's start a campaign to get them to bring it back you know and they were talking about. Other shows that have been canceled, like uh, Firefly, you know, and some of the things that the fan, the fandom has done to try and bring that back. So there were there were people on on the message board that were try, trying to get and organized to get a pan a campaign going. So then it was it was rolling and it was rolling, and so I was. Uh, Ordering nuts and sending nuts to CBS, and Jeff Braver, Braverman, I think was his name, from Nuts Online, got involved and gave everybody huge discounts for order ordering nuts. So um, what we order? It was like 20 tons of uh, peanuts that we ordered and, and sent to CBS and put up a a billboard and made a um, commercial about bringing Jericho back. And it was just an awesome experience to get to know all kinds of people who shared, you know, uh, the same interest for a TV show that brought so many people together.
4: And it actually worked.
7: Yes, it did. It actually worked. And that was the really amazing thing, because we all felt like we made history. We convinced a major television network to reverse course on their decision to bring a TV show back, even if it was going to be for a shorter uh, season, you know, with only seven episodes. And that was another thing that really gained a lot of my admiration and respect was like Carol Barbie and Dan Schatz and um, a couple of the other writer creators who got involved and interacted with the fandom. I had never heard of that before. So it was just really amazing.
4: I don't think it's happened since, to be honest with you. I, I can't think of another time where it's ever worked.
7: I don't think it has.
4: I mean, uh, I know
7: it's been tried, but I don't think it has.
4: Uh, Firefly never officially came back. I mean, they made it into a movie. The 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 X Files came back all all on its own. Uh, Twenty Four came back, but that, again, that was just all on its own. Uh, I, yeah. I I don't think I don't think it's ever worked otherwise. So congratulations for being a part of that.
8: Well, my my major contributions were that I did a whole lot of images and graphics and things like that. Um, At one point, I had the opportunity to uh, to put together a little promo for CBS for season two, and uh, the fans actually raised some money to air a television spot uh, to get the show back on the air, which uh, I put together. And then ultimately when Jericho was canceled for a second time and became comic books, uh, several of the producers contacted me and I contributed the cover to the official season three uh, novel, um, graphic novel. Uh, I guess that's what it was. It was a compilation of the third season that was in comic books. So uh, those were – yeah, I kind of helped a little bit behind the scenes – Organizing things here and there but uh but I was probably best known for doing the media stuff
4: was the graphic novel cover is that the one with the mushroom cloud
2: yeah okay. yeah that that's that's it
8: all right.
4: I read that one. You you actually worked the uh, for the Jericho for the troops, which was a thirty second news spot that you helped produce or you helped release. Can you tell us a, l- a little bit about that?
9: Yeah, initially um, I had been a fan of the, uh, watched the military channel and three o'clock or three thirty in the afternoon, they, the Pentagon would have a daily news channel, um, and uh, they would air it on the military channel too at the time, and uh, I. Just sent in an email one day and mentioned that and mentioned that some of the campaigns that we were doing, um, uh, as far as raising awareness uh, awareness and um, you know accepting donations on behalf of the troops and um, you know they they were back and they seemed interested. They had a couple conditions where you know CBS wasn't specifically allowed to be named into it or, you know some legal issues and stuff, but we talked to them about it, and um, you know they—they—I didn't come up with what the dialogue um, uh, was, but they did a, a quick 30-second uh, stint on on us and, and some of the things we were trying to do um, for a TV show and, and some of the benefits we were getting done as far as um, you know assisting troops overseas. We were. Um, getting paid into um, uh, sending food items, getting people on on the message boards to donate stuff to troops over in uh, Iraq. I had come across one guy who had Sergeant not know was his name he uh, he was stationed in Iraq, and one night he took the time to actually post on the CBS message board and I happened to see it and started to run up the dialogue world and but we quickly became friends, and, and uh, the rest of us started to uh, use him as a control point, and uh, we started sending out care packages, and, and um, from the last, you know, I can remember we sat close to, uh, I believe, over 1,000 pounds uh, worth of um, good baby wipes, um, toiletry items, uh, I sent my Xbox that I had at the time, um, games, uh, books, you know, all sorts of things that, you know, these guys needed for being in the field that they weren't really getting at the time. So, you know, we just kinda of parlayed that into you know, a Jericho Awareness campaign and um it was one way we were able to attract people to it.
0: I've found um, that I've participated in Jericho fan campaign in many ways. I've hosted a fan table at my local Comic-Con. Uh, I used to post in the, the Jericho electronic broadcast system newsletter that was found in many Jericho forums. I currently do a blog called Crazy Kitty's News Corner, which I post articles, links to articles, on what the Jericho producers and actors are currently involved in. Uh, and I've also, I also attend the weekly Jericho rewatch watch hosted by Gwen, and perform as an administrator on the Save Jericho Facebook page, and I'm also an administrator on the Facebook group Jericho on All Access.
2: I don't
7: know if you ever heard of the Welcome Home to Jericho event that was held in Los Angeles.
2: Mm-mm, no, I didn't know.
7: In 2009, it was a uh, charity event. It was almost like a Mm Jericho. The
2: Mm
7: -hmm. ones that were held out in, what was it, Oakley, Kansas? Well, me and uh, a a few friends started up a Welcome Home to Jericho event. It was a charity event, and it was to raise money for the troops. And we were going to... um, sponsored uh Operation Homefront out of San Diego. Hmm. And we had Gerald McNeeny was there. Uh Lenny James was there. Um Brad the guy who played Brad
2: can't remember May- his name.
7: Brad there was there. Um Alicia Coppola uh
4: Coppola, yeah. Coppola, uh, she yeah. Played she-
7: Mimi. Mimi, right. She was there. Um, We had like 30 different uh, cast members and crew that were there at this event. It lasted uh, three days, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. It was in April of 2009. So I wish maybe you had... uh, heard
4: of it and well I you know what my, my I have... actually have I didn't I didn't know what it was called but yeah I actually have heard of it and I, I thought that um, I think it's just a uh, it's an amazing accomplishment and again another example of just what a little show could do uh, to inspire people not just for the self-serving benefit of more show but for the greater benefit of the community Why is uh, the Jericho story still relevant?
3: Um, Yeah, I kind of think it's more relevant now than it it probably was when it was released. Um, It it definitely—I mean—it kind of reflects maybe our fears. It kind of reflects like a just there's a bunch of philosophical philosophical questions on um, you know what's 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 happening in the world and and. What are kind of our you know subconscious uh, fears that that could happen? And now, ten years after the original show, it's I mean, do you, do you know who the Republican candidate is? Uh, <laughs> I mean, I just generally the world is worse than we were there. I think um, you know, Russia is getting shadier every year. Uh, North Korea has gotten probably worse in the last decade. So, if anything, the, the fears of 2006 are, are especially now in this you know election election season and um, a decade later, is maybe even more closer to home for for many people uh, than it was back then. I would say it's more relevant. Yeah, it's, definitely.
4: It's like something's getting ginned up, right? Uh, it's,
3: yeah, it's it fits even better this year than it did. I mean, yeah. it's just great.
4: You know, uh, if you were to look at that show right now, if you know. Mm-hmm it's not in be, because it takes place in this small town and because Jake drives mm-hmm. around in this old muscle car. Anyway, there's nothing really about that show that couldn't take place now. I mean, really, I mean, there's right. really nothing about it that sticks out. Right.
3: It's absolutely in no way dated. It has a great shelf life. You, you, I mean, I just rewatched it before Comic-Con and I was like, wow, this is more pertinent. I mean, mm-hmm. if, if, when, when the when the the news came on there and it was all in chinese and just kind of thinking yeah that nothing's changed if anything um uh yeah our next uh, president might be a little shady when it comes to the the nuclear switch and um yeah i mean if anything it's 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 definitely held up um yeah absolutely
4: All right, we are here with Steve. Steve, please tell everybody your full name and how they can find you in the Jericho world.
7: Well, hello. My name is Steve Wood, and right now I'm just on Facebook as Steve Wood.
4: (laughs) Just Steve Wood. All right, I love it. Uh, (laughs) Okay, okay. All right, well. Let's stick to the format here. Uh, what is it about Jericho that inspired you to be a fan?
7: Well, when I first saw the um, promotion um, video for it before it first aired, I knew I was going to be hooked on it because I liked the concept that it was promoting. And and as soon as I saw the the, the first episode, I was hooked. And I just, well, I'm retired military, so that kind of uh, thing about terrorists or, or bombs going off, you know, interested me anyway. So it was one of the things that hooked me on.
4: Sounds like it kind of scared the bejeebas out of you, and you kind of wanted to see how it all turned out.
7: Well, it, it's it's a scary uh, thought that could actually happen, and, and so, to see how that community would have handled it, see how the country would have handled it, and especially the um, the countdown videos that were played on the the website for each episode, that was kind of like a, a documentary uh, kind of thing that explained what would happen if a bomb went off, the the radiation, the the, um, lack of emergency preparedness, um, total chaos and all of that stuff. I just feel like that society is not ready to handle some kind of major catastrophe like that. So to see it, how it would all be played out was really interesting to me.
4: Did you kind of treat it like it was a survival manual?
7: Kind of, sort of. Um, I know that on the message boards, there were people that were listing different uh, websites for survival, uh, how to to prepare. So in other words, you know, how to become a prepper for something like that. Mm Mm-hmm and so all of that stuff is really interesting i mean you know nobody's really prepared to to be thrown back into the into the stone ages so what can we do to actually prepare ourselves for a, a major catastrophe
10: Dawn is because I um, took over the food drive campaign for the Kansas Food Bank um, from another lady who was named, I think, Hillary, um, off the boards. And she told me to run with it. So the Peanut Butter Food Drive was came about in, I think, 2008. It was coming up on uh, June when all the schools let out and the kids that rely on food at the school wouldn't be able to have the food. Um, so we decided to do a food drive, donate any peanut butter jars, jam, spreads, soups, crackers, cereals. By the time we had gotten done, um, oh, God, I think we raised about $2,100 cash food items for the food bank in Wichita, Kansas. And the whole food drive really began with Jericho itself um, it came from the storyline um, where they all shared supplies for Thanksgiving and they had that big barbecue on the street. yeah so I, that's I'm really proud that we were doing able to do that for people. I wish we could do it again actually. Um, uh,
4: um, when i when I watched that that uh, episode, I remember thinking to myself, this is a lot like that story you heard when you were in first grade, second grade. And I believe it was called Stone Soup. Do you remember a story that. called Stone Soup?
10: I sure do. I'm a book person, and that was one of my favorites.
4: <laughs> well, I'm not a very good storyteller. So, for those of, for the youngins that may that may have never heard this story, could you tell a little bit about Stone Soup?
10: Oh gosh, if I can remember the whole storyline, has been years. <laughs> um, Stone Soup. Started with I believe a beggar that came into a village and asked if anyone had any food Mm -hmm. That they would share with him and they all said no and shut their doors on him So he actually went into the center of the village um, And started a fire and put the pot on with the water and threw a stone, that he took out of his backpack into the water and Then people started coming out of their huts since it was a village Um, and started asking him what he was doing, and he says, oh, I'm making a delicious stone soup. And then he would say, you know, it would be really good if I had some potatoes to put into it, but I just don't have any potatoes with me. And then somebody ran and got potatoes and put the potatoes into the pot, and then he went on with the story of, oh, God, some onions would be really great, or maybe some carrots. And then someone else went and got a couple onions, and someone else got carrots. And by the time they got done, they had a huge soup in a great big black iron pot that he was able to share with everyone.
4: <laughs> yeah, and it's a it's a fable, correct? I mean, it's really about yes, it coming. It's about coming together as a community. Everybody pitching in and. Wow, you can make a you know pretty killer vada soup, I guess.
10: Yes, you can.
4: Yeah, and so. tell
10: them what might be there.
4: And we saw that happening in I think it was uh, episode two of Jericho, um, if I'm not mistaken. And you guys made it happen, uh, and that is why your peanut butter uh, peanut, peanut butter, butter on. Um, why is the Jericho story still relevant?
7: I think it's still relevant to the point where something like that could still happen. I, for one, am a firm believer in community. So like in the TV show Jericho um, where that community came together to help one another, support one another, and make sure everybody in that community was was being taken care of. I'm a firm believer in that, you know, that community should take care of community. And considering how people will turn against each other from different communities coming in wanting what they have and stuff like that and how what they did to protect themselves and what they had to do to in order to uh, survive so I think that if that show was still around I, I I think that a lot of people would be able to benefit from it because they would see what it's going to take in order for neighborhoods to stick together and help each other out and reach out to other neighborhoods to try and, you know, gain um, strength and cohesion. People are going to have to reach out and, and help one another, and that's the only way that people are going to be able to survive. And I think that something like that is extremely relevant, especially today. I mean, look at all of the violence that's going around and the uh, division within the country. I mean, you can almost see Jericho from back then, even though no bombs have gone off, but you can almost see the same kind of situation
3: that is happening today. Whoo!
1: What a montage. That is illuminating, but I think it points out what I said earlier. This is a passionate fan base,
3: I know isn't it crazy?
4: I mean, and that was those were just the highlights. I yeah. had numerous conversations and you know, and uh they were all believe me when I say this, they were all too short, and really? some people got left off of the montage, and I'm so sorry, but believe me this this show's gonna go four or five hours probably is gonna go what now? I don't know it's <laughs> gonna be close. This is a long show, so buckle up. And if you don't want to hang on the live broadcast.
1: Yeah. Uh, you're driving from Ottawa to the Yucatan? <laughs> this is the podcast for you, buddy. Exactly.
8: Get
4: this on podcast and
8: listen to the rest of it later. <laughs>
4: um, but one of the uh, – um, we uncovered a, a gem, a podcast natural, when I was talking to some of these uh, rabbit fans. Uh, she goes by the name of – You Holy say that Hobbits. like you're not a rabbit fan. I am a rabbit fan, but uh, – So
1: you're saying it's like a badge of pride. Exactly. My she... fellow rabbit fan. Exactly. And and uh, you say a shining light emerged. Someone, exactly. Someone to keep an eye – someone to watch.
4: Yeah, someone who has a future in a non-paying business.
1: <laughs> someone who's going places <laughs> a... nowhere quick.
5: <laughs> a dead-end job. <laughs> Won't pay
4: you anything. That's a lot of work. Uh, yeah, she goes by the name of Holly Hobbits. No, Holly Hobbit. Hi, I kept messing up her name throughout the whole
1: interview. You know, but just just own it. Well, never say it correctly. I, I have a feeling it's it's Holy Hobbits. Well, yeah, because – But I'm allowed to, to say that. You can never say it correctly, but just give me a sign if it's Holy Hobbits. He, ladies and gentlemen, he just – for those of you who can't see, which is all of you, he just gave me a sign. Holy Hobbits. She is one to watch.
4: And uh, I put together most of our conversation here, and, and I have a little surprise. So Ooh. let's go ahead and, Magic Interview Machine, give me the Morse code version. Magic Interview Machine.
1: <laughs> you know what? Take me away, Morse code style. <laughs> <laughs> it only works for me. Interview Machine, Morse code is out.
11: My name is Kirsty Cartwright. I go by Holy Hobbit, uh, way back in the CBS board. Um, I am... Back in the day, I was on the CBS boards in the chat rooms every day um, talking to people, getting to know everybody, kind of, I was in between a bunch of different groups making friends. Um, Way back in the day when when the show was initially canceled, I did help send the nuts and emails and letters and postcards, everything I could think of. To CBS to try to make it come back. So most people will know me from the CBS Sports.
4: Can you tell me what is it about the Jer- about Jericho that inspired you to be a fan?
11: All right. So what inspired me inspired me to be a, a Jericho fan was that back in 2006. I was at Comic-Con and I was flipping through the program guide and I found uh, the Jericho ad. I saw a little kid on a uh, rooftop with a mushroom cloud behind it and I just thought it was so interesting. So I went and saw the pilot, loved it from the very beginning. Um, but the main reason that I love it is because I got to meet the cast. I was in a wheelchair for due to a surgery and so most of the cast there, was up on a platform. I only got to meet a couple of them because they didn't notice me because I was so short. Um, but I got to speak to Lenny James and John Turtletop, and I their compassion for their show, it wasn't just a paycheck to them. It was something more. So their enthusiasm and kindness got me to love the show. Uh, John Turtletop actually wanted to sign my cast. He just thought it was so funny. He wanted to get the cast signed by the cast. Uh, But at the end of the day, security wouldn't let him. But um, it was their compassion and mixed with the storylines that got me to love Jericho.
4: (laughs) That is just an amazing story. Um, (laughs) How have you participated in the fan campaigns?
11: So the fan campaigns, I have written letters and emails and sent nuts back in the day, um, when it was first initially canceled back in 2007. Um, I was also at con that year too. So I helped the people uh, pass out like flyers for Jericho that was happening in Oakley. I didn't get to go, but I was helping out the flyers to get more people to go um, and spread the news about Jericho and try to get people to watch it more often. And then we tried to do that back in 2008 when we only got the seven episodes. We've just been uh, constantly trying to get it back on the air with Netflix, Hulu, uh, CW for a little while. So we've been uh, constantly involved that way. But my main contribution is with the Jericho fan table at Comic-Con. So I'm there with Glenn every year um, to pass out flyers, go ahead and, you know, try to get more people to watch Jericho on Netflix. And, you know, we see some old fans, but we also see some new ones. So it's a nice kind of build up to get more people interested in the show. Uh, The Jericho show or the Jericho storyline is still relevant uh, because there's so many more post-apocalyptic TV shows on the air nowadays we've got last ship walking dead fear the walking dead so many of uh, those tv shows that i think the story's still relevant nowadays is that because people are wanting those stories more often we're looking for the world ending but we're also looking for hope so i think that's where jericho comes in is looking for hope
4: did jericho give you that hope
11: yes uh it also gave me this uh, feel of family and community that we don't get in this world anymore. We don't get small-town feels, and at least for me in a big city, we don't get that. So it was a nice kind of escape every week to watch.
4: It's kind of a this world that, that we find ourselves in, and I, I don't mean in a, in a macro level, this, this, this world. <laughs> I mean in our little Jericho community world. Um, it's mm-hmm. like a traveling circus, you know, we, where we all get to see each other once a year, maybe twice a year, and uh, do you feel like that is kind of fulfilling that kind of need for that smaller community, that kind of closer, that close-knit
11: community? Yeah, I guess so. Um, yeah, um, yeah, we get to see each other a little bit. Um, I, I've gotten... You mean as general, like, we know each other and the fans get together every so often to talk, right? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah.
4: Yeah. I mean, even yeah. if it's on the chat rooms or if it's at Comic-Con or WonderCon or Kamikaze mm-hmm. or or whatever, <laughs> um, our our community uh, exists. We're all a part of it, aren't we?
11: Right. Yes. And we, we love our uh, Jericho fandom. Uh, since the CBS boards and some of the chat rooms have uh, gone, since it's been so long, it's harder to stay in touch with a lot of our fran- our friends and fans of Jericho. Um, but we're still finding more and more ways, like through Facebook, to keep in touch.
4: What would it mean to you and to the community to have Jericho back?
11: I think it would be it would mean the world to us. Uh, we. We desperately miss our show. It was our, again, it was our escape from everyday reality into something that, yeah, maybe it is a little bit worse than what we go through every day with the whole world ending, but again, that hope in that show was there so present that it, it just, it was there for us every week, and we... The storylines, you can just get lost and forget your own life and live through these characters and live with what they go through.
2: Which character, we, we
11: would do definitely, you, um,
4: which character do you see yourself most like or who do you associate yourself with most?
11: Oh, gosh. I associate myself with a couple different characters. I'm a mix between Dale, the kid that worked at the store, Bonnie, the deaf girl, um, and Heather. I'm a little bit of a mix of both since it's been 10 years.
4: <laughs> Have you just kind of evolved from one or the other, or are you all these things at once?
11: Um, I, I would actually say probably evolved a little bit. I would say probably starting off more as Dale and Bonnie, uh-huh. and then gradually, Heather, as an adult, I see myself more as Heather, less awkward and more grown-up.
4: <laughs> yeah, I agree. Heather <laughs> did have that effect, right? She was a little,
11: mm-hmm.
4: you know, a little goofy, you
11: know? Yeah, geek. She's a geek at all of us. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> <I> agree. So <laughs> I, I think she's the grown-up version of both of them.
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, you know, and she was, you know, she's not the same character at the end of season two as she is at the beginning of season one. I'm sure you'll... I'm sure you'll, Oh, uh, not at all. Not, not, not mm-hmm. at all. She's actually a leader. Not and, at all. You know, she's she takes charge. You know, actually, I take that back. There was little signs of her taking charge throughout, but she seemed to always be the girl behind. You know, the the fly on the wall kind of thing, uh, the uh, wallflower, mm-hmm. I guess I should say. And by the time, yeah, <laughs> yeah, by the time she kind of goes through, um, man, she's actually standing up to to a general.
11: Yeah. Yeah, the character of Heather, I think, is the most underplayed, I guess, is the word I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. Her character had so much room for potential and there to be a major character, but she always stayed towards the background, but yet still was a leader, especially towards the end with Beck when she stood up to him. Mm-hmm,
4: mm-hmm. I'm sorry, it was Major Beck. I think I said General. I don't want to get beat up in the chat room. Um, <laughs> Well, uh, you know, this this uh, this Jericho story, um, as we know, it's still, even though we're holding out hope, and you have used that word before, hope, we're holding out hope that this story will continue uh, on television or Netflix or some kind of variation, uh, CBS All Access, but mm-hmm. it does continue in comic book form. Were you able to follow up with your favorite characters were you were you satisfied with the comic stories that came out?
11: Ah uh, good question uh, yes, I was able to follow up with my with the comics with my favorite characters um, I, my characters actually switched in the comics um, I loved how uh, Hawkins' daughter um, became this main Uh, character in there she grew up to actually kick a lot of butt in that um but it just still wasn't the same it had all the the same storylines and everything that I was looking for it's just not the same without the actors actually portraying what they're what's happening in the book it doesn't have as much uh, not meaning it doesn't have as much of a kick for me um, I don't remember it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, for me personally, through Netflix, I, I played Jericho all day. If I'm at home doing chores or anything like that, it's always in the background because I know every scene. I don't get to do that with the comic book. I think I've only read the comic book maybe twice, maybe three times through, mm-hmm. whereas the, the entire first season, I can tell you every clip of what's going to come next in the
4: episodes. I'm the same way. Like when I'm, uh, I just put it on, Uh, I'm vacuuming Mm -hmm. or whatever, (laughs) and it's just on because I don't, I don't, I don't even have to like be looking at it. You know, I I know what the, Mm I know what the pictures are. Uh, Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, And we encourage everybody to do that because that's more views. That's more clicks and it makes the show look popular. Right. So, you know, Mm -hmm. If you're out there and you're bored, you just, you know, put it on. Uh, it's <laughs> it's just as good for me the 25th time I've seen it as it is the first time I've
11: seen mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I've actually put Jericho down on the back burner for the last three years. I don't think I uh, – I'll, I'll say maybe two years because there was a couple sick days in there that I put it on. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm actually, for the 10th year anniversary, re-watching it. And just fell in love with it all over again. Mm-hmm. It doesn't get old no matter how many times you see it.
4: Yeah, and it doesn't seem to get dated, right? I mean, Jake drives around Mm-mm. in this old muscle car. Um, you know, the only cars that, that work are the ones that don't have a computer in it. So you don't mm-hmm. really have this problem with it get with it looking old. It could it could be it could be on right now and that show will look brand new, right?
11: Exactly, even with the music too, because mm-hmm. the music was like brand new for the the time, and those songs are all still relevant. Um, it changed a little bit when it went from TV to DVD because they didn't have as much rights, uh-huh. uh, from what I understand. Um, but all the songs that they picked are all very prominent songs. So I'm like, yeah, I have that on my iPod. You know, it's like it was yesterday that it was just on.
4: And didn't and it, it didn't hurt. it really 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 make Coldplay, a bad-ass band.
11: <laughs> it really did. <laughs>
4: <laughs> I love that part where it's playing that, it's kind of like that marchy kind of Coldplay song. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, and it's just, and, and you see, I think it's um, Stanley, he's kind of running through the field. He's got the, he's wearing all black because he's training to be a ranger. And I mean, Mm-hmm. They really made Coldplay badass, and I don't think yeah. You know, Cold Coldplay are many things. Badass isn't usually one of them, and Jericho. Yeah,
11: <laughs> it really did. Yeah, absolutely. yeah, it. Uh,
4: yeah. Um, you know, since I I I do have you on, and uh, we're gonna go a little bit more off script. I hope I hope you don't mind, but I'm I'm really having fun.
2: That's fine.
4: Okay. Um, okay. You're the. First girl that I talked to today. So I want to I want to get totally chauvinistic here, and I want to talk about the romance uh, between uh, Jake and Heather. And then you had Jake and I'm sorry, I'm I'm spacing your name real quick. Uh, um, Heather. uh, No, well it's Heather, and then it's uh, Ashley Scott's character. I'm just.
11: Oh, Emily. Emily,
4: Jesus. Okay. Um, All right. All right. So I know how you kind of put yourself in Heather's shoes. Uh, What about Emily? What did you think of her? Uh, What did you think about that relationship? You know, because she was about to get married, right? Um, You know, Mm -hmm. how did all of that work out for you? How do you think that Jericho handled romance?
11: Uh, Jericho handled romance pretty well. Um, I am personally not an Emily fan. I grew to like her and Mm -hmm. love her later. Uh, especially as the series went on, whereas Heather became more of a, a, a side character and he- he- Emily stepped into the limelight uh, or spotlight. So I felt that the first couple episodes didn't do Emily justice. Uh, I felt like she was a not a fully rounded character yet, which – Later on, we find out, you know, more about Jonah, her dad, and, you know, Roger, her fiancé, and all of that comes into play, and so you learn to love her, and I know there's a lot of fans out there that are, you know, you're either pro-Emily or you're Mm pro-Heather, but uh, for for the most part, I, I really like that he did end up with Emily, but I wish that we would have been able to see more on the Heather side as well. Yeah. Because they did play that kind of toying between the two of them.
2: Well,
4: one of the things that I I found, and this is one of the reasons why I really like this show, I love the way that they handled the romance part. Um, Because it was very, it was a covert way. Um, The whole Mm -hmm. reason, because, and again, for those of you that have not seen this show, you shouldn't be listening to this because we're going to, you know, we're going to get deep into the storyline here but what gets revealed uh, and what you don't even know is that the reason why Jake went back it really is to see her and in in a way mm-hmm. that's why he left was because of her that's why he comes back was because of her the reason why she never left and even and she demanded that her husband stay there not even take the job interview was because Emily wanted to stay there because jake was going to come back someday and i just felt like uh, the way that they handled it was it was treated like all of a sudden they're back together but it wasn't all of a sudden it was subverted they were always meant to be together and i i found that to be a real amazing way that they kind of handled romance in this world in another thing and i I know i'm just kind of blabbing here but i'm going to tell you this in a in a in a world where staying alive, finding food, you know, is a is a is a is the first concern, they still find time to fall in love. You know? And it's not just with him, but it's also obviously with um Steamy. Is that did I say that correctly?
2: <laughs>
4: yeah, <laughs> with
11: Steamy. Stanley I love Steamy
4: <laughs> Yeah Yeah.
11: Uh, Stanley and Mimi. Oh,
4: I'm sorry. Stanley Mimi. <laughs> Steamy. <laughs>
11: yes. Steamy. Yeah. That was actually my favorite romance out mm-hmm. of all of them mm-hmm. because it was the most realistic. It just accidentally happened, uh-huh. and they made it work. And with the comedy with both uh, Brad Bear um, and Alicia Coppola was phenomenal. And I hope I'm pronouncing her name right because I can never get that right.
4: That's how um, I say it. Yeah, sorry. I say Coppola. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. uh, and you know what? Sorry though? if I
11: butchered it. Um,
4: and I actually just thought of this when you were bringing it up was that their relationship is a result of the attacks. So, mm-hmm. this is something that only blossoms because of the situation. So, you know, um hope has been a theme in most of these um, conversations that I've been having about Jericho. Hope seems to be there. And uh, you know, hope is seen in the rela- in the steamy relationship. <laughs> it's it's something that you know, even in all the chaos and and, and in the destruction and in the fear, um, something, as you say, real, can happen, and something beautiful can happen. Uh, and you know, that's another yet wonderful reason why we love Jericho so much,
2: right?
11: Yeah, exactly. Um, Yeah, and I loved the reaction when Bonnie gets home and sees the two of them together, and it takes her forever of slamming doors and drawers and running out of the house to, you know, get used to the fact of them together. I think it took her a long time to like Mimi, and that's exactly what would happen in real life. Hmm. But meanwhile, Mimi and Stanley... Their relationship is fun and lighthearted versus everything else, which I think all the other relationships in Jericho were all very, I would say probably more difficult than theirs. Mm -hmm. They had fun. And as you said, it was a beautiful relationship where all the other ones were more, Harder, they had to work a little bit harder. Where there was just terrible situations going amongst them. What the I'm thinking of is Mary Bailey and Eric, oh, yeah. and Eric's wife.
4: Yep, you're right. Tough and tough. Yeah, there, there was. You're, you're right. Yeah, that one does seem to be the one that kind of had the clearest path, the clearest path. And, um, mm-hmm. but it obviously, it obviously didn't go, that clean. Um, in what happens to Bonnie, and at the end of it, 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 you know, if you weren't convinced enough that Bonnie completely and totally accepted the steamy relationship, um, mm-hmm. we all know what happens, and when she when she throws Mimi into the closet, she slams the door, and she takes the shotgun, and she fends off um, uh, the uh, Ravenwood, you know, um, attackers, and she sacrifices herself for for meaning and mm-hmm. you know, she just wanted to she wanted her brother to have this life because he sacrificed his life to come back and take care of her
2: mm-hmm.
4: and yeah you know, i'm getting chills just talking about it and how how know. how beautiful that was <laughs> you know um people yeah. don't people don't get why uh a group of fans would go through the cost and the time and the emotional drain to send thousands of pounds of peanuts to a studio, they obviously they obviously have never met Steamy. They obviously have never seen mm-hmm. the show. Right?
11: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, the it was the the hardships were so thrown amongst Everything, every character somehow managed to overcome everything, for the most part. Um, it, it was in a fundamental show. Um, you don't find a show like this on the air now, nowadays. I've tried so many new shows, and none of it has that kick, that compassion for its characters. No. No. I've not once been able to find that sense.
4: Uh, yeah, Yeah, I totally agree. I think the best... The single best scene, uh, and, and this is in its in its writing and in its performance, especially from Alicia Coppola, um, was when she was in the hospital after you know she was saved by Bonnie, and she's asking where you know where's 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 Bonnie where's because it's, it's not, it, it doesn't even occur uh-huh. to her that something so awful could happen to such a wonderful person. And mm-hmm. when, it, when she hears about it and she, I think, if I remember correctly, she kind of puts her hand over her mouth and she's just like in denial and she, there's just tears in her eyes and there's just this, there's horror that she expresses. It really comes, it really comes through. And, uh, and again, it's those moments that are found throughout the series that justify our passion, that, 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 that. that mm-hmm that make it okay that we geek out so hard over this goofy TV show, <laughs> you know?
11: Mm-hmm. Just, uh, yeah. I have, I have so many people ask me, why are you still doing this after nine years? Why are you still doing this after 10 years? Go watch it and come back to me and tell me how you feel. And I've done that. I have my, my Jericho DVDs are completely ruined with the exception of the second series that has, yeah, mm-hmm. I've given them out to so many people. I actually don't know if I got them back from the last person now that I'm thinking about it because <laughs> yeah. I haven't seen them in about yeah. – You
7: have oh, to geez. just kind of assume
4: that they're just going to go away. <laughs> yeah, not going to come back. Yeah, I don't back. know where they are. Yeah. Well, and you know what? <laughs> yeah, and, and, but they and, were worn out. And this is a special note for everybody is that it's – you know, um, I've I've had – eight conversations about Jericho just today. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. uh, many of them have pointed out that very first image of the, of the boy uh, when he climbs up on the roof and he sees the mushroom cloud. And I, I totally agree. That's a lasting image. And it's, it's, it's awesome. I mean, literally awesome to see that image. It's on the posters and it's, it's on the DVD cover. I think it's on the Netflix um, cover or thumbnail Mm -hmm. or whatever, but For those of you that are for some reason listening to this and still haven't seen it, (laughs) uh, for those of you out there that haven't seen this, or as advice for, for friends of yours that refuse to see it or won't see it or have tried to see it, as good as that first image is of the mushroom cloud and how awesome that is, this show gets amazing as you watch it. You know, as, as it, it just builds and it builds and it builds and it builds. So that passion wasn't found in one episode. It's found throughout the whole series, and and um, it's found through people like you. So thanks.
1: Yeah, thanks, Holy Hobbits. You – damn it, you said it right. Yeah. Well, I'm allowed to. But honestly, <laughs> no, I actually got a chance to uh, to meet That's right. Holy Hobbits. She, she really is a natural, and you can tell she loves this. And I hear – she may or may not even be dipping her toe in the podcasting world with a special Jericho. Is there any truth to that, or is he, are these just trade rumors?
4: Well, yeah, there's uh, there's there's plans in the works to produce a talking Jericho podcast oh. that will run on Saturday nights, and it will be all Jericho. All the time.
1: All Jericho, all Saturday. <laughs>
4: yeah. Well, yeah, we, we are actually working on that. And uh, let's hope that the CBS people figure this out, give us this show again, and we'll have something new to talk about. How about that?
1: Yeah. But yeah. until then – Otherwise, it's just jericho Jerichoing, jericho going, jericho gone. <laughs> oh, wow, that was very labored. <laughs> um, hey, it doesn't matter. Now that I'm saying Jericho correctly, I'm – All show. There's going to be plenty more where that came from. Okay. All right. Well, hold off to hold off on
4: your next Jericho joke, because we had the amazing opportunity. The
1: what now? Jokato. It's all
4: right. It's a Uh, you'll you'll get the rhythm. You'll get the rhythm. All All right. So we had this amazing opportunity. There, one of the characters, and again, I know you haven't seen it. So one of the fan favorite characters is Deputy Bill. Okay, uh, and he's played by awesome actor, Richard Spate, you know, like the number eight, Richard Spate Jr. Sure. And um, he is the star of this brand new movie called "Evil Gene. And when I was putting the pieces together for the Jericho special, the Jericho decennial, I get offered Richards Jr. because he's in this awesome movie. And I said, What? It's Providence. I mean, it's things Providence, I it, it, tell that's, you. That's what it is. And I'm like, Absolutely, we want to talk to Richard Spate. Little did he know that he's going to be talking about Jericho most of the time. But we did watch the movie Evil Gene. It's available right now on Amazon, uh, maybe iTunes more, more than likely. And it's available at Blockbuster. Uh, just run, you know, walk over to Blockbuster
1: and pick up uh, Evil Gene. Yeah, um, go out get it now. Don't don't wait for it to come on <laughs> HBO. Jericho. <laughs> wow, you are going to stick. With oh, this is, is okay. far from over. So, all
4: right, now this is the big surprise: is that, heck, holy, ho- 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 holy, holy hobbits. Ho- holy hobbits agreed to actually join me here in the studio. To interview Richard Spate.
1: That's right. That's right. right. The surprise, she came in live and in person. Uh This tape recording, you're going to hear. She was live and in person in the studio with you. I just, I hope that sets the stage for the listeners. Yeah. Well, how about this?
4: Magic interview machine, Morse code me.
2: (laughs) Do you know, I don't think the interview <laughs> machine is going to respect you. You better try that again.
4: Magic interview machine. Morse code me out. Uh, we are on with Richard Spate Jr. He is a film and TV uh, persona number one. You're you're in a lot of stuff. Um, I've seen you in Justified. Go Jericho.
6: Well, thank you. I appreciate that very much. I've been lucky to be associated with some pretty good stuff.
4: (laughs) Absolutely. Um, We actually – our timing to have you on is amazing. We are actually producing. You are going to be on a Jericho decennial celebration show. Um, And that's great. I know. And we we have partnered up with the Saving Jericho people, various of these, um, you know, uh, Saving Jericho sites. And we're going to we're we probably interviewed like 20 of of those members. Uh, You're you're going to be on this show. And for this very reason, uh, we actually are bringing in a guest interviewer. And the reason why we're bringing her in is because you remain one of her great white whales. She's met everybody in the cast. She's a huge fan, <laughs> of, wow. and but she's never met you. So I would like to introduce you to Holy Hobbits. Holy Hobbits, take it away.
11: Hi, Richard. My name is uh, Holy Hobbit. I go by Christy as well. Um, yeah, you are actually one of my white whales. I've never been able to meet you yet. I've met most of the cast so far um i worked the fan table at comic con and i had stepped away for lunch and one of the one times you did stop by the table and i yes
6: i, I did cuz i did stop by the table one time like 2 years ago and you were mm-hmm. there yep. there you
11: go <laughs> so i'm really excited to be interviewing you today
4: and i think well my pleasure
2: enough. yeah <laughs> <laughs> thank
11: you all right so right now um i with the whole Jericho's uh, 10-year anniversary, um, I kind of wanted to get to talk to you about your new movie. Uh, I got to watch The Evil Gene, and I thought it was pretty awesome.
6: Uh, Good. What did you liked
11: it. Yeah, it, it kind of had that Twin Peaks feel to it. I liked the twists and the turns throughout it. There's not much I can say without giving away the ending, though, uh, but your performance was on point on that one.
6: Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Look, I thought the director and writer Catherine Taylor really had a great idea and script in that movie. And you know what she lacked in budget, she made up for with ingenuity and and clever storytelling. And I thought I thought it turned out to be a really fun film. Um, I, we
4: have we have seen you in a lot of TV and in other movies and stuff. Is this your first like you know a you know first credit starring role?
6: I think I did another movie, I did another um, indie film that was uh, uh, more of a rom-com film where I was the, the the main guy, but but that makes it only number two. There's not a lot, you know, that's usually not my thing. So <laughs> it is a rare occasion, and it was the first, like, drama where I was the first banana, so that made it interesting as well. Well, I, well,
4: I also got a chance to see the, you know— one of my many privileges of hosting this show is that we get to see these movies even before they're out. Although this one is available now on Amazon, but I didn't have to pay the 7 bucks. But we do encourage sure. you guys to go out there and see it. Uh, we think it's good. Um, so how, how did you get involved with that project? And don't worry, holy, we're going to get to the Jericho stuff. But we have to We'll get to
6: Jericho. Story. Yeah, yeah. Well, I got involved in Evil Gene in a really kind of unique way. I was at the uh, Savannah Film Festival. Uh, supporting uh, a short film that I'd written and directed called America 101, and I was there and hanging out and you know meeting and greeting other filmmakers and met a producer named Julia Prina, who was at the time producing Evil Gene. Although I didn't know it, we just met, were hanging out, and a few weeks later she called me and she felt like it would be a good match, um, and and so I got involved. Through her, so through Julia, I met Kayla York, the other producer, and Catherine Taylor, the director, and uh, and talked to them and read the scripts and, and came on board for that.
4: When you were out there and when you were trying to get this uh, movie going, what did you think when the when the material was was handed to you when you first read it? And again, without spoiling anything, because this is a brand new movie. Um, right. Uh, yeah, so
6: you know, with, without tipping tipping uh, the cap towards anything, I just thought it was a really clever. Idea in terms of what it was trying to say, you know, it 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 it's going down a a, a dark subject matter, is tackling a, a pretty sophisticated subject matter, and I thought it had a really unique angle on it, and that's what made it interesting to me, um, and and it was well written enough that I felt like even in a low budget format, you know, it had a strong enough story where it could it could be told and. We told in a creative way to, to make it still a, a, a gripping film. I think I think Catherine pulled that off.
4: Yeah, and it you know it doesn't look like a low budget film. I mean the the effects were were on were on point. Um, graphics at the beginning were you know again mm-hmm. great. Um, and uh, I just I didn't feel I didn't feel like it got buried like in that this is on a budget type of film. You know
6: I think you guys well, that. I, 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 it's great. I think it speaks to the to the caliber of the crew. I think uh the producers and, and the director assembled a really talented group of people to do you know who, who were who were drawn to it for the same reason I was which was it was a great idea. Yeah. It was a it was a really clever clever idea with a clever uh kind of hook to it that I won't discuss because I don't want to give it away but it was <laughs> it made it really interesting.
4: Well just a little bit of uh of of a background on the story. It's basically um scientists Figured out that there's a evil gene, and it's what's kind of causing violent, violent, intent, violent out Yeah. Yes. Yeah,
11: school shootings, murders, that kind of stuff. It's what I guess um, triggers people. Correct. To kind of break.
4: And as you can predict, uh, having this knowledge turns into a weapon. It's 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 a way to to control. Mm-hmm. Right? Do I do I have a? Yeah, record? I think
6: I think I think it's a, a very. Accurate assessment
4: of it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, look, uh, you guys, you, we can we can all catch that movie now. It's available on Amazon, on iTunes, I think. You can you can get it any anywhere, and if you go to our to our website, we're gonna have links on how do you guys can also watch this film. But Holy Hobbits is gonna freak out if we don't talk about Bill, and if we don't, <laughs> and you know, <laughs> the the other thing is that one of the things that I want you that I want you to know, Richard, is that. You know, whenever a fan—I am a big fan of Jericho, also—which is why we're going to produce this thing and 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 why we're so excited about talking about it—is that we go out when we're out scavenging in the world for our entertainment, we occasionally run into people that we know and we see and that we love. One of the actors out in that field is you. Every time I see you, I get excited. I'm like, oh, it's Bill from Jericho. It's Bill from Jericho. And so, <laughs> whenever I see you, so. Um, we all want to know what you've been up to. What are you doing next? And I'm going to let Ms. Hobbits take over. Go ahead.
11: All right. So um, I just I wanted to thank you for being in Jericho. I loved your character of Bill in there. Um, it, it just was phenomenal. I actually just bedro- watched uh, Jericho again this week, got through it in a week. And I caught a couple things that I didn't catch before um, that points to your other uh, films and movies and TV shows you've been in. Um, in the second to last episode of the series, uh, when you, um, I guess, dress as the other soldier, when you're trying to take over the convoy, you've actually got right. a, another uniform on, and it says muck on it, which points to Band of Brothers, which I thought was awesome. Isn't <laughs> <You're laughs> so,
6: that cool? That was not my idea. That was the idea of uh, Steve Skaya and Matthew Spatterman, who were writers on Jericho, who happened to be a Big Band of Brothers fans, and and so they came to me and said, "Can we do this? Is it just because this would be awesome?" And I actually uh, loved the idea, but I checked with the family first oh. of the guy right. uh, of Muck, you know, because I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to do something that felt um, disrespectful. Right. to the actual person whose name was Muck, uh, who I portrayed in Band of Brothers. I, I, it's not a gimmick. You know, it's not a cartoon character. It's a real person. And I, I wanted to be sure that they, they understood that it, that was being done out of affection for the series and for the, you know, the men represented there. So I checked with them first, and, and they thought it was awesome. And I thought it was a really neat, you know, very deep but cool tip of the cap from those guys to uh that series so uh, i i loved i love that
11: yeah that was awesome that okay. made my night when i found that <laughs> i
4: i actually just learned about it for the first time just now <laughs>
11: so that's really
4: cool i didn't even know that that's great yeah, yeah,
6: it, yeah. it was really, it not not everybody cast it because why would you you might not look at the name tag but mm-hmm. that's why they did it Cause it would be it would be something for people who are paying attention and it would not bump for anybody who wasn't you know what i mean
4: well and since and since we're just geeking out over bill here one of the things that i find myself saying i don't i don't know it, it it's it's the it's the line or it's maybe just the way that that you that you say it but it's when they're trying to figure out where they're where they're keeping jake and then you and i think the other uh, deputy you guys go hog farm
2: I I love the
4: way you said it I love the way you said it it makes me laugh every single time Um, you know and I guess just as like one of those you know ultra geeks and I just kind of want to know everything about this show was did you have to do that take over and over again or was that like the first take
0: no that's the first
6: take Uh, (laughs) the the actor you're referring to is Bob Stevenson and Bob Bob is uh, a he's just phenomenal actor and also producer and filmmaker in his own right. Um, and Bob and I just immediately clicked. We, uh, we 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 got each other's sensibilities. We are similar enough to understand each other's rhythms and different enough to, to bring things different to the table. And at the time, not anymore, but at the time, Bob lived about a mile from me, so we were actually carpooling to work together because we were pretty much in scene together, which you know, in Los Angeles, nobody carpool[s], so that was a rarity in it in itself. And the fact that we'd be on a TV show and actually live near each other and, and do that was was awesome. And Bob and I just kind of under we 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 shared the same vision of what the tone should be, and and we were able to pull that kind of stuff off without much effort. So that that made it awesome.
4: Uh, I actually had another kind of, kind of question. This is a little bit deeper and sorry if I'm interrupting your, your interview with Richard. Um, But there was, there was something that I kind of noticed between your relationship with, with, with him is that you guys were on different sides politically. And there was a time where you guys were together. You guys were both locked in a trunk at, you know, at the beginning. And then you guys start to kind of drift. Right. And then, you know, this is over the election of, of um, uh, Greg, Greg, Greg Anderson. Sorry. And then, um, and then by the end you guys come back together, obviously, because you have to, and that's, that's what we're doing. Cause we're all, we're all in Jericho. We're all in this together. And then you guys are back together, you know, at, at the end, you're, you guys are both at Bonnie's, you know, um, uh, uh, at her, at her burial. You guys are both together on the very last moments of the series. Um, what are what were some of the discussions about that kind of dynamic and about how you guys kind of represented, in my mind anyway, the kind of plurality of the of the populace?
6: I thought it was a really, really interesting way for the writers to explore that because you know, exploring political differences is not new ground. But taking guys who are you know, essentially, partners, and in in our case, the only partners because everybody else is gone, and and creating a division within that, and we, in, in some characters, so it's not even an a story. It's just a sort of a a very lightly touched upon, but noticeable nonetheless, story point of them drifting apart in in very uh, challenging times. Two things that I thought were interesting about it. You know the the thing about uh, Jericho that I find fascinating as an allegory is its sort of its view of America, whether it be post-apocalyptic or non-post-apocalyptic. Um, the uh, The deputies have a a rift politically in in how they think things should run, but at the end of the day, when decisions are made they still work together to be sure things are handled correctly in terms of law and order. So they have a micro opinion but a macro view of, of how societies should function. And I think that's really interesting because, in, in a way, I think it's how it's supposed to work. It doesn't always work that way, but I feel like it was a great opportunity to sort of display that you can really vehemently disagree but still partner up to do the right thing. Or do what you think is right.
4: Yeah, and um, it was a. It's it's interesting that in the in the show, they they make it a point to have their election, and even though in my in my opinion the wrong man won, <laughs> <laughs> um, still um, the the other town didn't go through those steps. They did not maintain their democracy because when it is working at its best it is personified in the, you know, in the deputies relationship. And yeah. And it's, it's just yet another one of those examples of why this show was so great. So amazing. Um, and it still baffles me as to why it was canceled.
2: Um,
6: You know, I I will, I will go. It's really interesting. This show was canceled and I think everybody was surprised that it was canceled. Um, I think if CBS could could rewind the tape, they wouldn't cancel it, because they replaced us with kids on a ranch pretending to be grown up, and it died within minutes. <laughs> really? it was, you know that's what happened. Yeah, they had a, they had a reality show about kids living on a dude ranch. I mean, like, it wasn't like there was a we we fell into a weird uh, gap, and you know people who, I don't know, who would study this or anybody who studies sort of the, the metrics of TV history would find this interesting because at the same time I was working at on Jericho, I was working on Supernatural. Supernatural started on CW or WB that became CW and developed this huge web audience, had a lower profile because of a, sort of a not, it was not on the big one of the big four networks, and it sort of built this brand and now has become this phenomenon with a giant internet presence. At the same time, Jericho started on CBS and had one of the biggest after-airing viewings of any TV show to date at that point. But there were no metrics to monetize that. It didn't mean anything. It was merely numbers on a page. So CBS would look at this and go, great, we had a lot of people talking about us online. Cool. Keep in mind, back then, online didn't mean as much as it does now. And... People are watching us on DVRs. Great. Neither of which we can make money on. And rather than play the long game and assume that they would figure it out, which they would have, and Jericho would be like Star Trek for them, they didn't – the analogy we always used was it was grandma with a cell phone. She knows it does a lot. She knows it contains a lot of information and a lot of power but ask if she can figure out how to make a call. So that was CBS and Jericho. They had something better than they knew what to do with and more complex than they knew what to do with. And that would take more nurturing than they had time or energy to put into it. So they just let it go. And it would have been, especially given the political climate that that developed right after that, everything that happened in America, it would have been a brilliant in both as entertainment and information for for years to come in terms of its stories and what, where we go. Um, and everyone, everyone involved in this show, from the creators to the executive producers to everybody, knows that. It's just one of those things where at one point, a couple of guys in a room, gals in a room, lining up a TV series, putting note cards on a board, moved us off and another one on, and that was it for that. And just because it just didn't make sense at the time, you know, on, on, you know, back then CBS was number one on the network, number one network. If we'd been on NBC, we'd have been a freight train hit with our numbers. If we'd been on ABC, we'd have been a freight train hit. If we'd been on the CW, they would have given us enough time to try to find our audience. We just happened to be in the wrong place at the right time.
4: And you weren't a CSI, so it just wasn't gonna work.
6: <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like we, we were we were just we were a we were a show that took time. We were a lost. We were a show that was not a uh procedural. We were a seasonal. You had to follow the story. We were a novel and so it took nurturing. And it's just not something that they were in their mindset to put the time into. Like I said, in hindsight, a network a like network that would kill for a Jericho, would kill for that audience, would kill for that online presence, because that online presence now is incredibly monetizable, is incredible, incredibly motivating. You put a group of people back then, 10 years ago, when the Internet was much more hard, much more difficult to navigate, and create the kind of resurrection campaign they created for us for season two – It's a miracle. They actually pulled it off and got us seven extra episodes. Imagine what that show would have done with the reach now.
11: Right. And if you would have gotten the reach, if you would have gotten the chance, the time to do more, what would you have wanted Bill to do? What would you have liked to see your character do?
6: Well, that's hard to say because, you know, as an actor, that's not really my job to tell you what I want to hear here to do. I, I find, I'm a conduit for the vision of the, of the creators and the writers. And I think um, <laughs> it's interesting. When, when they started the show, and you can kind of tell this in the pilot, they had designs of the, of the deputies being comic relief. And mm-hmm. Steve Jabosky and I had conversations about that, about Bill being on the lighter side. And as the show developed, there's nothing light about that dude. He became really dark. He became the darker of the two deputies, yeah. and both deputies became heavier players. But you know, I think they're written appropriately for their environment. And so, I don't know. I, I you know, I wouldn't have told you when we started the pilot that I would end up going where I went. So I would be naive to tell you where I think he <laughs> should go from where he left off. I think it would have been interesting. I think it would have been interesting to see. Um, a lot of what this show would do. One of the most moving episodes of television I've ever seen was when Cheryl McCraney, you know, died in that funeral yeah. episode. That that was fucking great television. Yeah. That was well-written yeah. from the World War II references that ended up inspiring Skeet's, you know, battle cry at the end of the season to... Everything that happened in that and and as a father myself, the way the the sons were portrayed and the and the dad it just was great. Gerald McCraney was so good on that show he was just a machine <laughs> and and the relationship that Skeet and Ken Mitchell had with him was just beautiful. it was just fantastic and it was simple. it was organic and natural, and it's what good writing should, but rarely, as big, <laughs> you know
2: well that is a
6: really dramatically improper sentence, but you know what I mean
4: it probably i mean it, it's only going to go as far as the performances can can take it. You crush it as bill in that in that particular scene, skeet's crying. Have you ever seen anybody well up like that before on film or t v
6: you know, I don't here's the thing, I'm not sure if I can even say crying versus welling up, you know, I, I look at it at a different level. And yet, it, you know, for that specific dynamic, dynamite. Yeah, dynamite. But what registers more to me is the genuine yeah. response. It was less about, what he, he could have run around the, scre- the room smashing chairs who would have felt the same. It was the genuine connection and loss, especially from the prodigal son losing the only person who believed in a moment, moment that and then the sort of, well, I guess I'm a man now moment. It was just beautiful. It was just so simply done and well done. And I mean, we were bummed. Yeah. It wasn't like we were having cocktails after that. We're like, what? We're doing who? Why? You know, it was a huge loss yeah. but dramatically important. So we felt it because it was bad. You know, it was. You know, it was. He was intrinsic to what we were doing, and where do we take our story now, without that? It was very strange, and it, but it was only strange because it worked, and that's rare. It's usually just a job, and it's every now and then it's not a job. Every now and then it's art.
4: Yeah, and I I think you you absolutely nailed it. It was this. It was very organic and in. in, in in his reaction, it was even after the like initial, you know, campaign or like, you know, once he says nuts and then it's kind of just him and it's Emily. And if he, he can finally really break down and like open up and cry, there's a snot rocket that shoots out of him. I don't know if you guys noticed that, but, and I'm just like, yeah, yeah talk about natural, right? Those things happen in those moments, you know, yeah. completely broken. And he just had to put up this big front on the steps, rallying everybody to this, and then he goes around. and He has that moment. I'm having chills just talking about it.
6: It's amazing. Yeah, it's not. It's not pretty. Reality is not pretty. <laughs> it's Not pretty.
11: <laughs> oh my god. Um. Yeah, and so you had mentioned, you know that, you know, you are simply the writer that the, or excuse me, you're simply the actor. The writers take you everywhere. Your trans- uh, transformation between your character. You started off kind of that happy-go-lucky kind of funny buddy cop between uh, you and Jimmy. Um, I really enjoyed that, but then they kind of took you into that dark place that we had mentioned before. You kind of became this hothead, um, but then back in season two, you kind of slowed down and you were a little bit more reasonable. Um, did you enjoy that kind of journey that the writers took you on?
6: Absolutely. Because I thought I was going to be a clown the whole time. It's great to realize you're taking to take off the face paint and not juggle. You know? it's And look, I love comedy. I do it a lot. It's a really fun you know, avenue for me. But to, to make the, you know, to not just be a one-note trumpet, it, it, it was a well-developed character. And keep in mind, this is a deep character. If you've never seen Jericho and you're listening to this, I'm not the star of the show. I'm number 10 on the call sheet. It's not like I'm Carrying the the story, so for the writers to care that much about the deep characters means a lot. It means they're really paying attention to the details. It's not all about you know the sofa and the table. They're 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 knitting the throw pillows with great care, and and that and that I think makes for interesting television. It certainly makes for interesting performing if you're an actor.
4: I absolutely agree with that. Um, it's it's something that we we just don't see often, and it 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 inspired this this huge movement and i know we're we're taking up a lot of your time but can you can you just talk about your your feelings being a part of you know being a part of that and just seeing seeing that happen seeing this kind of rally behind this project of yours
6: listen i think jericho was a fantastic show i really do I've done a lot of television that I don't necessarily watch. I liked that show because it was good. Well done. Um, It had good people behind it who were smart and who gave a crap. And, and that's not always the case. You know, we had, uh, some really, really, really great writers. We had great creators. We had, uh, you know a showrunner and Carol Barbie who really cared about the show and helped develop it, and I just felt like you know my my role in it at the beginning to me was was not a significant you're like, well, this is what it is, and as it developed, I realized this is not just a sidebar guy they're gonna pl- they're gonna play this. They're going to play this out. And we had, and I thought that was so admirable. We had a lot of young people on that show. It's hard to look back on that now and say that because we're all 10 years down the road. But at the time, John Steinberg, it was the first show he'd ever created. Josh Scher, they're the same age, you know, young dudes. Steve Chabosky, young guy, been a feature guy coming in doing TV for the first time. Kareem Zeke, producer. Uh, Dan Schatz, producer, all young guys. It was was not a gray-haired old boys club. Mm -hmm. This was young people getting their first crack and making a show. And they brought in, you know, whip-smart Carol Barbie to run the writer's room, and you ended up with just a bunch of young writers who've gone on to do great things, a lot of them. Black sales they've done. Robbie Thompson was on. Robbie Thompson was a writer's assistant, became one of the best writers on Supernatural writer's assistant on, on uh, Jericho, you know, we had incredible talent Just sit, sitting, sitting in the writer's room and in Robbie Thompson's case, just sitting in the wings, you know, who popped in to do great episodes. And you know, it, it was just one of those rare occasions where it worked on every level except for the fact that the network didn't get it. Everything about the show worked. It was more complex than it needed to be. It was more poignant than it had to be. It was more uh, layered than TV deserves it to be. And audiences got it because audiences get it. But unfortunately, sometimes audiences get things that executives can't, can't calculate and compute. Yeah. It was one of those times where the, the roads just did not intersect. Happens all the time. People have their favorite show canceled, and they go, "What the hell?" There's crap that's on TV for 12 seasons, and you think to yourself, "Who the bleep is watching this? Why is it still here?" You know, it's a world of not norms TV.
7: But you can't but count what, on
6: stuff. What what
4: what, uh, what about the actual campaign? Like, can can you kind of walk us brief, uh, real real briefly, just through like when when these people started sending peanuts, and when well, when you yeah, kind of it's it, you
6: know. That was crazy, and, and, and I think that's a hard thing to look – you have to look at that through the lens of a history 10 years ago to understand how significant it was. Because today, you want, to do, you want to rally a campaign on the internet, it takes you know a couple of Twitter followers and a good hashtag. Yeah. Then it was incredibly difficult. It was only a step above a letter-writing campaign. The internet was slow, clunky, and not everybody was on it, and or at least they weren't on it as uh, vehemently and as and as, and as uh, you know voraciously as they are now. Or worse, and they were up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you just you know, it wasn't. We thought po- I remember posting a little thank you video. Uh, Brad, Beyer, Bob and Bob Stevenson, and I posted a little thanks for you know sending in nuts video, on my porch, and. <laughs> And it was just like very clunky and weird. Like we didn't put any time or effort. Into it. We kind of shot this thing, and we, you know, the idea that I don't think the term "viral" existed. You know, <laughs>
4: well, nobody. Well, it probably deserved wasn't it. a good thing if it did.
6: <laughs> it was viral wasn't a good thing, and anything that involved binging wasn't healthy. It was it, you 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 watched everything at once. You didn't binge watch. These, these you know this is not the world we lived in. This is a pre Netflix planet, yeah. and it, the the fact that people could rally around enough to send enough tangible physical product in the form of peanuts to a network to get them to pay up for seven more episodes is stunning. Now, why the network didn't read those tea leaves and go, holy shit, there's a real audience here and we're missing the boat. Maybe people don't want to see eight-year-olds in a dude ranch. Maybe they want to see great drama. You know, the fact they couldn't figure that out is a stunner. But then again, You know, Urkel's a star. Who the hell knows? Point is, it was a weird and fantastic thing to witness from the sidelines, truly. Glad I was a part of a show that had that kind of impact on a crowd. Wish we could have done more, but at least we got to do what we got to do, and I got to be a part of it.
4: Yeah, well, we absolutely thank you for this. This was fantastic. You, you've been very generous with your, with your time. Um, and I know because, you know, always going to be looking for it. We have people that are listening to this, to this, to this show. They're going to be looking for you out there in the, in the wild. Where can we find you next? Now, we know we, we know that you're an evil, an evil gene, and, we, and you're going to get a lot of buyers on this one. <laughs> uh, Great. But do you have any projects that are coming up? anything i do
6: um i I just uh i created a show with if anybody's a supernatural fan out there um rob benedict who plays god on supernatural uh he and i created a show together called kings of con which is a single camera comedy that takes place behind the scenes in the world of fan conventions uh which is a world we know well after being on fan conventions for seven years and that show uh It's been produced by Lionsgate and Comic-Con HQ and will begin airing on Comic-Con HQ, which is a new digital uh, platform uh, this fall. So if you go to Comic-ConHQ.com or on your Roku or your Amazon or soon your Apple TV, you get Comic-Con HQ, you'll be able to watch our show coming up this fall. And it's called Kings of Con.
4: I think you are the right man for that. Uh, we absolutely appreciate you coming on the show. Um, please look for the Jericho fan table at the next San Diego Comic Con. <laughs> please, you have to, you have to meet Holy Hobbits. Okay.
6: We'll be back. Listen, I, I should have gone this year. You know, Rob and I uh, went and did because our show is also co-produced by Comic Con, so we were there this year. We will next year. We will make a point of going to the table and saying hi.
11: Awesome. Right. Thank you so much.
6: Thanks again. Of course. Thank you for the inter- – listen, I'm I'm glad the show still has an impact this many years later, and it's my pleasure to to come on and talk about it.
4: All right, partner. Thanks again.
2: Thank
6: Take care. Absolutely. All right. Bye-bye.
2: Bye. <laughs> me Fred out of his fruity pebbles, Space Police. The alien has landed. The alien?
5: He's after the fruitiest cereal in bedrock. Not my delicious fruity pebbles. You, check under the bed. Yes, sir. Well, I check out your fruity pebbles. Mmm, fruity for orange, lemon, lime, grape, and cherry.
2: Yikes! The alien! <laughs> Dino? Bonnie, my pebbles! <laughs>
1: They're out of this world.
2: A fruity pebbles cereal. Out of this delicious breakfast.
1: Fruity Pebbles and Richard spate that says Saturday mornings to me. <laughs> Isn't it amazing how things work out? It is. It is. I'm glad, uh, I I'm I'm glad we were able to slip one of our traditional uh cereal commercials into this very special episode. Yeah, it ex- a lot of things. Exactly. It's good to good to have some standards to right. return mm-hmm. some some stability.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And you know, oh, I geez. I really do like Fruity Pebbles, especially when my milk is nice and Jerrico cold.
4: <laughs> wow. That is
1: horrible. Keep them coming. Keep okay, them coming. All right, fine. Any of you out there on Twitter <laughs> want to join in? That's <laughs> classy. Get, get right under Marquis' skin at stay classy. SDCC
4: inundate him. Yes, with all the Jared jokes. Oh, I messed that up. I'm not as good at this. <laughs> you can't just say something and then add jokes you, at the end. It's yeah, doesn't make any sense. Uh, it
1: doesn't. Not... No, it doesn't. Uh, unless you don't want it to be. Because
4: then we're just idiots saying random stuff.
1: Yes, which is which is uh, admittedly how we got started. That's but I right. like to think that we've got some focus now. We honor the origins. That's right.
3: But here today,
4: we're here to honor the the decennial of the of the fan favorite Jericho show, uh, and as you know, it was ended way 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 too soon, and there was a a movement.
1: Yeah, this. It's, I don't know if this was the first one, but this is one of the the mo- more talked about like. I think, like, Cagney and Lacey back in the 80s was one where they got fans to write in Mm -hmm. and got a network to change its decision. Now the game is you got to mail things.
4: Well, now you just tweet, and maybe enough people will. I mean, it's it's so easy nowadays.
1: Yeah, has it moved to tweeting now already? But I remember there was, like, I think Friday Night Lights, the people were mailing light bulbs to NBC or whoever. Yeah, Uh, And and even I, who have not seen enough Jericho, mm -hmm. admittedly. I've seen a couple of episodes, and I like it, but they were, like, out of order. Mm-hmm. I haven't sat down to binge it, which is what it sounds like you should do with this. But uh, they sent uh, – what was it? Nuts. No. Are they out? Nuts.
4: No. They sent tons and tons of nuts. And we actually brought in a couple of people. These are Rangers. These are Jericho Rangers. And for those of you that don't know, mm-hmm. Grim uh, when you say a Jericho Ranger, uh, these were townsmen, uh, you know, ter- uh, these were people of Jericho that were trained to guard the town. They were called the Jericho Rangers, and a lot of the fans have adopted that as their moniker. Yeah, okay? like, uh, the first... like the Browncoats. Like the Browncoats, exactly. With, with Firefly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so some of the early guys, and there's a very famous podcaster, and you're going to hear about him in some of the interviews today. Um, and they started the Peanuts campaign. And uh, nuts, as you don't know, is is a inside joke. With it was, um, it's a inside joke that 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 happened on the finale of season one, and it added to this cliffhanger. So it's this inside joke between us, Jericho Rangers, and all of a sudden, a bunch of nuts started showing up at CBS. At CBS,
2: mm-hmm.
4: and hell, we found the people that were. Some that started it or were involved in it, and there's some disputes as to where it started from. Is you know, any family, you know, they yeah. like to stake their turf, and but it has its origins are with this group of people, and we found a couple of them, and um, I talked to them, and thank God I recorded
1: it. I mean, yeah, <laughs> what a lucky strike there. So what with this show coming up and all?
4: Can you? Bring me. Well, well. You know who, I, who did, I, did you correct. talk to? Tell me who I, they I are. I talked to two of the players. Um, one of them is known as the historian. This is Barney Murphy, and uh, you know he's got all the history. He's the keeper of the archives, basically, yeah. for, the, for the Jericho Rangers. And I also talked to Jeff Knoll, and Jeff Knoll. You know, he may have started the whole thing. I don't know. What did he have to say? Well, how about this magic interview machine? Morse code me.
12: I'm sort of the the historian kind of guy, exactly. I guess. That's probably exactly. why Quinn recommended me. Yeah, and uh, as we go through your interview, I uh, I sort of became one of the leaders by by de, you know, by default, I guess, uh, after the, during the second campaign, so like. But I was involved with the Nuts campaign and all that as well, so we can kind of give you an overall history. Being a history guy, I, I like to sort of I kept a lot of that history just because it was such a unique. Uh, you know, other than Cagney and Lacey, there weren't many prior to that that had been successful with, with a major network, you know, actually listened to their fans. So,
4: well, uh, we were actually struggling to try to remember another time where it's actually worked. So Cagney and Lacey went. They, they kind of went through a similar... Um,
12: right. In 1983, they did a letter-writing campaign. Of course, back then, that's, you know, the, the best way you did it. Mm-hmm. And as you, as you know, as we go through uh, the history and, and so sort of forth, Jericho, I'm sure you've gotten this from a few people you interview, Will you know, Will as you've done, either the, the people directly involved, you know, the writers, directors, and, you know, actors and so forth, or the fans themselves. You know, Jericho is probably eight, eight years ahead of his time, you know, now everything is on demand, but at the time, uh, Jericho had more viewers that were DVRing it and watching online and downloading it on iTunes. Sort of what we are, our lives are like now. Yeah. But that was very unique at the time. And if you think about it, uh, the advertisers, and let's face it, television is set up for advertising, and the program is to bring you to your advertisements. So uh, they didn't know what to do with that. I'm sure, I'm sure CBS did neither. And so I, I think, you know, Jericho was unique in many ways, not just in the story and sort of the fan groups, but I think it really um, sort of was at the cusp of how television was going to change. And this was, I think, one of those programs that kind of, they, they couldn't get their hands around it. it they, they didn't understand the, the demographics. Yeah, I think it was. And I think a lot of ways, if it came out now, it would have probably done seven to eight years, you know, on a streaming channel like on a Netflix or Hulu. It probably would have had a nice cult following for seven, eight seasons, you know. But uh, unfortunately, it was at the time CBS was the number one network. They had a number of their CSI and other programming, you know, that uh, was consistently top rating draws. So, um, the, you know, the, you know the fact that they even took a chance with it for the first year was probably pretty amazing. Taking mm-hmm. the fact that they were the ratings leader and it really was sort of a departure for them, if you think about it, back in two thousand seven, two
4: thousand six. Do, yeah. do you think that the writer strike had anything to do with it?
12: I think that's a part of it as well. I think they were looking for content because, as you know, that, that you know, during that writer's strike, they get a lot of reality shows they had to put on. And I think original programming was sort of uh, in demand after the strike. And so I think that might have played a little bit into it as well um, because they probably didn't have a lot of uh, programs in the can for, you know what I'm saying, for replacements. And so I think, uh, you know, I think the, the producers that went there, Steinberg and those guys were probably successful because of that.
4: Where do you think it's uh how do you describe the the kind of build up to the to the campaign um how do you sure. you know how would you rate it compared to where the build up is now for what might happen to Jericho
12: Well, it's 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 interesting, you know. I think every, I think there's ebbs and flows. So, you know, obviously people, with yourself and other things that people are seeing out there in the net, they've got, you know, especially the the old original fans. But there's been so many other fans. It it really does kind of ebb and flow, and as, you know, different things come up. You see a lot of the old people come out trying to sort of desperately get the show back because it really was. If you think about The Walking Dead, for instance, I think one of the reasons it's so popular as well is 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 Gale uh, heard and some of the other producers say it's not about the zombies; it's about the people. I think Jericho really was a you know, really was you know, what a really good actor. Some of them were known, some were not. You know, Joe McTrany was probably uh, and Pam Marie were probably the two you know most known as far as you think about it. Um, well, so but she, you know, uh, I think uh, he was one. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. was, but. And even Lenny was known for movies, but I think those two were you know, iconic names, especially Gerald, because he had done two or three. He had done Major Dad. He had done... WKRP, um, right? A uh, detective it? show. Yeah, yeah, WKRP. And he had also had, had done a uh, detective show back in the 80s as well, uh, Simon and Simon, basically. Simon and Simon, Diego. oh my God, so, how did I
8: forget Simon and Simon.
12: Yeah. yeah. There you go. And so, you know, that's kind of what drew me when I saw his name attached to it, and, and so... Um, so I think that piece was it as well, but, you know, so the campaign and build up, is interesting how I even got involved because I'm not a real internet guy. I don't really, I'm not, I don't do social media. Uh, Gwen probably may have told you, uh, it was kind of interesting for me to be kind of be out in front for a number of years working with her because it's not, you really my style. I, I don't even have a, uh, you know, anything. I don't do Facebook really. I have a page, but my I don't have a picture. on <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm kind of one of these guys who talk to me at the call me or talk to me in person. Uh, never seen Twitter or. Snapchat or whatever that stuff is. I haven't even seen it yet. But, and I wish I had it at my disposal in the second campaign because I would have utilized it. But yeah. uh, the build up of the first campaign to kind of give you a sense is, you know, people think back and it was a bunch of peanuts that were, were sent, and that really wasn't the case. It really was, you know, in May, it started building with the last couple episodes, and the rumors started getting out that, the, you know, the numbers weren't there after they had the big hiatus, you know, the winter time, but they showed the first 11 episodes. And it was a three month break. Some of the heroes, where they lost a lot of the rate. I think Wasp was another one, where because you're doing a serialized drama, you can't have, like, a three-month break, because most people's attention span <laughs> doesn't doesn't call for that. Uh, they find other things to do. And so you've really started to see a lot of these different websites pop up. And, and what happened was, once the official word came out, um, you started seeing every night uh, Jericho Lives there was one. Uh, Rally Point was another one, where they come out every day. And people think it was peanuts. It wasn't just that. So they kind of give you a step-by-step market, you know, what would happen is every day you'd come on and there'd be a different battle plan and people would post, here's the 20 top affiliates in the United States, Philadelphia, Boston, in my area, in New York, whatever. You had know, the fax numbers, because remember, this is still back in 07, mm-hmm. those fax numbers. And people were, every day, they'd target a different sort of 20 affiliates. And you'd send faxes and phone calls and then... Um, they were they were doing you know letter campaign car, you know, and then uh Sean uh O'Mac, who had a blog talk radio spot i am sure you 've probably been told about him he really was sort of the voice on Jericho when he passed away mm-hmm. about, about six months ago, which was a sh- real shame um He had his own blog show out of, out of vegas and, and every night he'd go on and, and during the two week span, so the show was sort of canceled, I believe around mm-hmm. may say nineteenth I think it was around the time and for that two-week spin, the first week of June, every night, he'd have producers and directors, and it was amazing. Every you know, every night, we'd build you, wait to 9 o'clock Eastern, my time, when he came on, was 6 o'clock in Vegas. And you had different people, and they said, keep it up. And then somebody mentioned on the show that maybe send sent some nuts, which was obviously mentioned, you know, I'm sure you've heard about that, in the first, in the last episode, 22, Why We Fight, it was uh, a famous line from Joe McAuliffe at the Battle of Bastogne, and so they 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 started sending nuts. People started sending them all over the place. They were sending them to Fox Network, to TNT. I mean, some of that stuff's been lost, but they were sending it to the heads of ABC,
2: yeah.
12: uh, to the local affiliates. And then they they, t- they contacted a guy named Jeff Braverman who owned Nuts Online, with a family business in New Jersey. And that's when they started pooling the, the nuts themselves. And they sent over twenty thousand pounds. There were three different shipments. And every two days, they were doing shipments in June. Uh, this was just before CBS kind of capitulated, and so you had the fax as a telephone. Um, every day, you'd call the the two, two one two number in New York, and a guy would answer and say, hey, um, "Barney from Boston, i need the twentieth guy to call me in the last half hour." Um, mm-hmm. They put spam filters because we found a way to email all the top executives from Les Moonbez down to Nancy Tellum, and then one day somebody came out of one of the boards and said that they, you know, the thing was coming back, bouncing back, and myself and a couple of other guys who kind of worked in corporate America found a way around that, and we started to uh, – so we kind of found a way around their spam net. So it was kind of a, a sort of an all-out assault. And I don't think that CBS was really ready for the, the Internet age where there was people all over the globe. It wasn't just the United States. It was Canada, Europe, Australia, and places like this. Was I think it was unprecedented because the show was in, like, 40 countries, you know, uh, sort of similar what they do now with The uh, Walking Dead when – I think it's in a hundred countries. You know, to a couple of days after it's used here in AMC. So, again, I think *Jericho* going ahead of his time.
4: Yeah, absolutely. I think in in many many ways, in the way that it used the online media, the way that it did the little webisodes, just the yeah. fact that it was a post-apocalyptic show. I mean, I I don't really remember. I mean, I can't remember one before that. real I mean, <laughs> I just I just can't remember one. It doesn't mean that that it didn't exist,
12: but. You know, I, it, it seemed like it started. Something. Probably not. Yeah, because the only thing I can ever remember, if you think about the old um, Twilight Zone episodes, Rod Serling would mm-hmm. make a few of those. Yeah, You'd but, see I mean, something like that or remember they did an episode the, of Star I Trek. Mean,
2: that's a long time ago. Yep. Yeah,
12: that's yeah you too. remember they did that Star Trek episode where, you know, I think, you know, Captain McRith, they go on the planet and it's supposed, to be, it's supposed to be the U.S. and Chinese. Remember the guys, the guys quoting the, the U.S. Constitution and didn't know what he was reading, you know? Um, so th- I think that's kind of the last time you even had any, you know, really reference to it. So I think it really was unique in that aspect. And if you think about this, you talk about the internet age and, and overwhelming CBS. Think about it; it was about a show about the apocalypse where the where the lights and power got turned off. Mm-hmm. Talk about irony again. So it was uh, again. I just don't think that CBS was really ready for that. And I also think if you if you if you look back, um, you know, it really was different demographics There was different groups of people there was 30 or 40 different fan groups so it really wasn't and to give you a little history of the community they had one different group one called Radio Free Jericho and you had Jericho Utopia within uh, some of these groups I wasn't involved with but I knew they existed and each one had their own leadership as you want to say and their own members and like any community you know, not all of them always got along uh, but during yeah, the first yeah. campaign, um, that kind of went away because they had a, a mutual enemy, CBS, uh-huh, and Nancy uh-huh. Tellum. She was—I uh, <laughs> I know people had people send me emails. They had, they had big pull-up pictures of her. They would throw darts at her every day, uh, things of that nature. So, um,
4: and whatever happened to her, by the way, which
3: which
12: yeah, was she that, heading now? I I don't know where she ended up. Okay. Uh, I really don't. CBS demoted her somewhere. I forget where. But so you know, that was sort of the first camp. And I always remember when it ended. I, was, I because of what I do for work. I I work for a major uh, insurance company. And so I was uh, in New York City the day that the, the announcement was made. I walked right past the CBS. Uh, off, I was on Fifth Avenue. and walked right by their corporate headquarters, um, which was kind of interesting. I got the uh, the text that the, the that they you know that they they reversed themselves. And one of the guys, his name was Clark, I don't know if you'll have a chance to interview him. He was one of the leaders of Jericho Lives and was one of the guys really out in front. He was a uh, you know, operations manager for a couple of radio stations, I think in Pittsburgh and um, you know, he made a very good statement. He was talking about again, this was you know, I was a you know professional, married kid, this and all that kind of stuff. I wasn't some twenty year old or you know, some uh, no offense, some closet Trekkie from the nineteen seventies, still living you know, trying to chase Len and Nimoy down the street. You know, it, uh, it. you know what it really was for me? It really, I don't really watch a lot of television, and it was really such a great program quality, you know, uh, really good writing and acting, things of that nature. It really was a very topical. If you think about 2006, six, seven, after 9-11, it really was a topical show. Yeah. Uh, if you think in that terms, only five years after 9-11, they allowed this to get put on the air, and that, to me, was, uh, you know, in a lot of ways, a lot of risk-taking by CBS. Um so, you know in that in that aspect, and so I think that 's really what appeared to so you had a lot of viewers, a lot of people that were in the different demographics, and again, I just don 't think that it it fit this you know it, you know the square peg in the round hole and i 'll tell you really got blown up with Nielsen because if you think about them, this this show and you know, what happened afterwards really kind of rocked how they do their business and how you know advertisers look at look at that and i if you think of today the streaming channels, you can pay a few extra dollars to get no commercials,
4: yeah. Just, just cut them out completely. And,
12: yeah. And well, no offense. What is Nielsen going to do eventually when most of the stuff is on streaming? Yeah. And, and I mean, they're going to be necessary. Yeah. They're going to do something else. They're not going to be doing television ratings.
4: Well, heck, I mean, I, I, I have you know, and we've talked about it on this on this show before, but I cut the I cut the cord. I mean, I'm not even I'm not paying for cable. I mean, I watch the local stuff. I have a nice antenna, you know, the nice digital antenna. I get high-definition channels for free. Um, and I generally watch my shows on the Hulu and uh, Netflix. Right. And, I, uh, and, and if CBS have... Access, if they if they give me a reason, uh, hint, hint, then, you know, you will be darn sure I'm going to be uh, a subscriber for all access as well.
12: Uh, I'm with you on that because I have a Roku myself. And again, as I told you, I'm not a tech guy really, mm-hmm. but so the guy like me, is I, I have the basic cable with kids and all that because there's certain shows they want to watch, but I, I watch the Roku. I watch a lot of the older shows or anything. I want to watch streaming down line. And the only thing I really watch on regular television is sports or the mm-hmm. local weather, you know, things of that nature. And I think that's really where it's going. And, uh, you know, so CBS wants all access. You know, I read one of their one of the articles uh, from one of the gentlemen that's sort of involved with the all access, he might have been you know the guy running it. And, and I don't know if it was you know, it was done on purpose or he slipped or whatever, but he was talking about you know they had no intention to have any new you know episodes in Jericho yet they have that on. You know, you can go on the all access and it's there. It's one of the you know the oldest shows, and it would be be foolish not to 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 do new episodes because you think about it, they're looking to have a pay service which is only their their you know their you know their their programming um you would think something like a with a the fan base they had built in you know what I'm saying the answer you want to talk about subscribers you, the, this fan base would probably you'd have like four or five million people subscribing overnight yeah. if they knew they were going to get a quality show like Jericho back they really would
4: do you do you think it would have that kind of number as soon as they said that we're going to put Jericho on
12: you know something? It all depends on. Do you know, I think it would over time would it be that way? Yeah, probably. But do you think you have like a million in the first couple of months? Oh yeah. 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 The, the thing is, if if they made the announcement that they that they are going to bring say thirteen episodes back or eleven run or whatever new episodes, um, you would have a lot of people that would pay that six to seven dollars a month yeah. uh, because you know, a lot of people have discovered and It's interesting why where, where I think again just my two cents why it would make sense for them. I know a few years ago Netflix was in serious negotiations with C B S and, you know, junction and all that to, to sort of, you know, because Netflix is it's one of their top, you know, rated shows on Netflix, you know, in that cult section because they tracked that obviously by viewership. And, you know, they so they, they knew when looking for original programming, they you know they have House of Cards and a few other really good original programming, but you know, just like everything else, Netflix is now competing against, you know, Amazon and Hulu and some of the other new you know, services are coming in. Of course, you have Showtime and HBO, which was smart enough to get into the uh, mix. You know what I'm saying? They have a, have a, a big head start in Star a big head start on original programming. So, um, you know, CBS, and those time to talk about launching another Star Trek, which, you know, Star Trek franchise always does well, but, you know, it's one of those things, don't always, don't always try to take your uh, fan base, well, like you do any customers for granted, because sometimes, at some point, they may not show up.
4: Well, you know, yeah, and you know uh, what, that's actually, uh, we had a guest on, um, I think our, I think it was our last episode, um, Ben, he's uh, he's with the Simpsons Collectors Group, but, you know, I've known him at Comic-Con for a long time, and he's a big Star Trek guy, he's in, you know, he's, he's in the chat rooms, he's, he's a part of the community, and there's a there's kind of a pushback about Star Trek, you know, because they feel like you know, I've been such a loyal customer of Star Trek for years, you know. If, if, you know, it actually today when we're recording this it's the 50th anniversary to Star Trek, so happy anniversary, Star that
12: Trek. Happy anniversary is interesting because Len and me, because you know, being from Boston, mm-hmm. we're very proud of our all of our. Homegrown talent, no matter where they go in sports, entertainment, whatever. Of course, Leonard Nimoy is a proud uh, Bostonian. Mm-hmm. Grew up in the West End of Boston. So
4: live long and uh, prosper, you know, with him.
12: Yes, live long yeah. and prosper. And it's a, uh, it's interesting though that you know we had a three-year run, and you think about back then, it did take ten years. They finally got that movie, and once the '79 movie came out, look, look how many new movies, and, and then they had the next generation, which I was a big fan of, and so forth you know, it really re jumped. But again, that that fan base stayed, you know, to the force well, and again. Right. But this they didn't have this is this is
4: changing things for some of those fans in that yep. you know, they've been they feel like, you know, I've been such a fan for so long and you're talking about a new show and all of a sudden I gotta yep. pay for it. And, you know, right. I think it's because there's just uh, there's a there's you know, there is a critical point where it becomes saturation and yep. you know Star Trek's Great. been out and there's so many forms there's so many episodes there's so many you know ways to consume Star Trek Jericho doesn't have that many you know we are we're a hungry uh, fan base we're we're ravenous you know we want this show right. back so i think that you know although our scale will be less it'll be much more dedicated to to watching and i think we're going right. to it's a it's a call to action as soon as you put this show on any format for us.
12: And I agree with that. You know, and I think it's a good point. I think you and I both agree. Saturation point where where Jericho was so much more story to tell, and if you think about it, they would just the starting to scratch the surface. Only giving them seven episodes in the second season, they really they really compressed that storyline. And they had you know they brought that same Morales on and BB be Sweeney, you know, two really talented actors. You know, they could have done a lot more if they had just even given them four more. 11 but uh, there's a lot, of, a lot more story to tell. And you think about again how topical it is, um, you know, how, how much things they can, you know, approach, deal you know, in the storyline. And of course, doing it, they do it on an all-access. You know, what I'm saying it could be a little bit more raw, a little bit more sort of realistic. I think the uh, war with New Bern, uh mm-hmm. would have gone a lot differently if that had been on a, a pay channel or a streaming channel than on CBS. Uh, and a lot of the things that happened afterwards, because let's face it, we've seen what happened to Katrina and some of the other, you know, natural disasters, yeah. you know, Katrina happened right around when that was being filmed and look, with three or four days and look what happened to Anarchy,
2: yeah.
12: you know, so you fair. think about,
2: yeah.
12: if you think about in the, in the Jericho world, you think about New Bern, right? It's, a, it's supposed to be a town, It they can't grow any food, they're in the food belt in Kansas, right? Yeah. And you yeah. think about what, what happened three months, they used to be next door neighbors, you know the people in the town were married, to marrying each other and everything else. And what three and a half, four so months later, what are they doing? They're ready to invade them and kill everybody they need to. to I believe Johnson to said,
4: uh, "I'm going to be and I'm I'm about to plan an attack on the town with the nearest Costco."
12: Yeah, it's about as <laughs> weird like as you can get. That's right. Yeah. With so the satellite, yeah, he, said, he said about to go to war with New Bern, Kansas. I think. Yeah, with the home of the, the, the 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 local Costco. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: Uh,
12: but but I mean, but that's. You think about, you know, you and I being in that situation, you know. So it's interesting. So as they can to the second one, how I really got involved, you know, I, I did the nuts and all the other things. How I kind of got involved was they started looking at different ways. And one guy named Jeff Knoll, who I hope you have a chance to interview, a real good guy. He owns a bunch of movie theaters. He's in the, in the business up in Canada. He did a lot of, got um, the troops that do a lot of ads in variety in Hollywood Reporter. He also was a guy that sort of led the way to get the billboard put up. You know, they put a billboard right up the street from the you know the studios in in L.A. Uh, being sort of a business kind of guy and numbers guy, I said, you know, how do we how do we really reach these guys? And these guys are TV, and so the TV commercial, which was put on, was kind of my idea. That's kind of how, and I I brought in like four or five people to help. And one guy is named Jason from the rubber, rubber Poultry, and I'm, I think another guy that you'll be interested to talked to he was kind of known throughout the community jason was a very very clever guy very creative um did a lot of the you know a lot of the different you know powerpoints and um, a lot of different artwork and he, he actually put the commercial together and got brad buyer to do the voiceover so part of my job because it was my crazy idea i had to go deal with brendan o'rourke which to this day is one of the funniest things i ever do he was at time Warner in los angeles and so I felt kind of odd to hey, I want to put a TV commercial on about a canceled television show. We want to protest. So I figured I was going to get laughed at. And thank God he was a young guy and was a, was a Jericho fan. He and his girlfriend. So he goes, Barney, I, I sell Sherwin-Williams paint, dub soap. This is great. Let's go for it. <laughs> and uh, he gave me, a, I mean, we ended up between, you know, nickels and dimes and bucks. And, you know, we had, we had DVD sales and a lot of other donation items and things ended up raising about twenty thousand dollars. He probably gave us fifty thousand dollars worth of advertising because it was on Time Warner and it was on during uh, the Deadliest Catch and a lot of the big History Channel. We try to target, you know, the, the real popular cable shows because it was on during the summertime, So a lot of the, the regular programming was, you know, was repeats, mm-hmm. and we we had it all throughout Los Angeles, you know, C D you know, it didn't matter. It was in the valley, it was, you know, Hollywood, it was you know, all the different uh, areas of LA. Um, and so that was kind of an interesting deal to get involved with a couple of the people I work with you know we had two or three others Julie and Chris and Steve who were the sort of the, the money people and kind of you know the, you know rally the troops but that's so from that I kind of got uh, put out in front because you know as as things happen the second campaign the billboard the TV commercial all these things people thought was you know we' gonna kind of catch lightning in a bottle again like they did the first time uh, unfortunately you know the ways uh, major television studios work. They took one shot, and they weren't going to do it again. You know, it didn't matter what they did. So uh, a lot of the people started fading off, and so that's sort of how I started to end up working with Glenn on a lot of different campaigns, and we actually got the TV commercial put on the UHD channel, and that was a whole other idea, because I don't know if you've had to work with that, but to get it converted over to high definition, again, we had to have all kinds of sales and work with a few other different groups of people. One of those guys' names is Mark and John, That uh, people out there known as North shoe. He, you know, every, every group has a militant side. Well, North shoe was a militant. He was the nuts guy. He, uh, he said, I don't know how many pounds of nuts to Nielsen to their, their home their home office down in, uh, Tampa, which to this day is on' one of the funniest things as well. I'm hearing. Yeah. So I thought it was great. So he was one of the guys that got involved with that. I work with those guys. on the beginning on getting the UHD channel. So, uh, Jason had to re, as you probably know, being in the business, some of the some of the music and things uh, we had to get, we had to replace, you know what I'm saying, because of licensing issues. Um, you know, it's another thing they talked about, um, for instance, YouTube. A lot of the people did a lot of the videos and things during the two campaigns where they made their own videos. And, you know, they just took whole pieces of, you know, film uh, or, you know, pieces of, you know, the show and interacted different music with it. And, you know, back then YouTube was in its infancy, and now if you try to do that, you, you know, YouTube's a multi-billion-dollar business. <laughs> it's easy. Uh, they wouldn't even let you. They wouldn't let you put it on there. But at the time, um, if you go, if you go find some of the old YouTube things, you'll you'll see a lot of like the nuts delivery. They had uh, uh, "Thunderstruck" by ACDC. dc and I'm sure that nobody paid ACDC dc or Atlantic Records any royalty fees to do that. And, but you know, I'm saying nowadays YouTube would say unless you've got a waiver or something you're showing me that they, you know, you pay the royalty for you don't to put this on, you know, content on YouTube. So yeah,
4: again, it was uh, a different money. world. So there's something you can actually assume.
12: For. Yeah. 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 So that, you know, that's kind of how it did. And I, I know back when we, you know, so we did that. And then of course the show was put on the CW back in 2008 as well. And I tried to rebroadcast uh, the show over, you know, I think it was starting in November and then ran through 2009 mm-hmm. And then there was, uh, I don't know how much you, but they, they did a big charity event, because I was involved with the uh, Jericho Rangers for the troops, and they donated tons of DVDs to the troops over in Iraq. I, I, you know, I, I love that as well, so I, that's probably why I got involved. I was uh, uh, turning in the military. But, um, you know, so we, we one of the things they did is they did a big, they called Welcome Home to Jericho, and about 50 or 60 fans actually went to Los Angeles in April of 2009, and all the cast came and uh they did a live auction and they, i think they donated some like ten thousand dollars to operation Homefront. It donated school supplies backpacks things like that to um you know marines and, and navy personnel's kids down in uh, san diego mm-hmm. uh needed here deployed which i thought was a great thing so it's kind of a they, it's uh, you know that's the one thing about this community as well um there's another woman named dawn she lives in new jersey and one of the things she did a take on the nuts thing she raised thousands of dollars between money and you know peanut butter, She donated it to the food banks in Kansas. Yeah. And we got a nice thank you from them. And another the thing they did was, after the nuts uh, were done in 2007 and the CBS capitulated, there was about $10,000 left in the war chest, for a better term. And Sean, again, came up with a good idea. Yeah. Uh, Greenberg, Kansas, I don't know if you follow that story, but they were devastated in 2007. They had a you know, category, I think, five. Uh, tornado wiped out ninety percent of the town, and they had to rebuild it. So, between and then and they sold some a bunch of nuts, and Jeff Braverman did some donations in match. It was close to twenty thousand dollar donation was made by the Jericho Rangers for the you know sort of the relief fund for to rebuild uh, Greensburg. So it, there's a lot of different charity work. It, it's really it not well. just
4: it's not just the show. It's about the passion that it elicits. It's about the you know it's it's about a goal. Uh, it's about a community, and it's not well, just about watching the show. We actually have grander ideas. You know, we, we can we can point this passion wherever we, we really want to.
12: Well, I think it's a very good point. I think the reason I bring these things up is part of the history. You know, I think you make a very good point. It really was a community. You know, like I said, there were certain people who didn't get along. Let's face it, it happened to communities and families, right? Certain people get along, certain don't. Um, but overall, like you say, the passion, if you think about like the TV commercial, we raised $20,000 people from all over the globe gave you know, gave the team that was on that kind of money just because, you know, they wanted to do that. And, you know, you think about that, um, or the billboard or anything else that was done or all the charity work, you know, this was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people and, you know, five bucks here, a dollar here. It could be New Jersey, it could have been, you know, in Ottawa, it could have been down in Brazil or, or over in Germany or, or in, uh, you know, in Santa Monica. And it really was a unique thing. That, and I've met a few people, you know, through a couple I've become good friends with, and uh, people I never would have met otherwise. And, it's, again, I'm not a community guy. Like I said, I'm not a social media guy. And, um, it really was a unique experience, you know, and the people that were involved. And, again, I think if you're telling a story to CBS, they talk about that kind of uh, passion uh, it wasn't just a show; it really was a community, and that's why I think when they're looking to tap into something, it's not just a bunch of people looking for a TV show to watch. It really is people that still talk to each other. They still, you know, the groups are together on Facebook, and they still, uh, you know, you know, have shared information. And again, every time something comes up about Jericho, they do get involved, and they do are, are, are very hopeful that something will come back, and, and really would would respond very positively to that.
7: All right, man.
4: I tell you what, you hit this out of the ballpark. You're no Buckner, all right. You you uh you didn't choke, so thanks again. Uh, for the I hope
12: not because no, he's no. living in obscurity in Idaho right. He had to move to Boise, Idaho to escape the feds in Boston. So, uh, well, I but he was actually, allowed to come uh, back
2: after
4: in a, in a previous in, uh I was talking to uh Christian, if you ever met her. She's she's a she was she was great, but um I called uh who did I call? I called Mimi Emily and I just, you know, I felt uh, I don't, I didn't want to get strung up by, by Jericho uh, fans. <laughs> So, uh but nah, man, yeah, thanks you so might much might man. Might uh be. I really appreciate you doing this. Uh you know, we're going to we're going to use as much of your interview as possible. Uh we're you know, we have to try to keep the show to a reasonable length. So,
12: you know. No, I, I hope I didn't speak too much. I just figured I would try to share what I
4: could. No, man, it's all it's all vital. Um, it's, it really is, and it's you know we we might have to do a part two. You know, you know what I'm really hoping for is that we're we, that we're all going to come back with a you know Jericho's back show, right? And we can talk about how That'll awesome the thing is, and and you know things on the wall for some I, kind know. of resurgence, right? I th- I think it's there.
12: I hope it is, and I'll tell you some right now. You know, I'll I'll joke in the site because you know a lot of these fans. You know, they met all these people. One guy I really like to meet would be Dan because I talked to him on the phone, email. You know, I've been working with him for like nine, and I've never met the guy. It'd be kind of interesting to see who he looks. I've met. I don't even know what he looks like.
4: That's Dan Brown, right?
12: Dan Shot.
4: Oh, Dan Schott. Oh, Okay. Oh, you mean the actual uh, creator?
12: Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. I He's a Philadelphia guy. Yeah, and you know, he's. I'm just saying that would be kind of a goofy thing, but it's just odd that I've worked with this guy for nine years I've never met him, etc. But it's a part of the world, too, I guess.
4: Well, I mean, he's. This this show, just to stay on the baseball theme, this show is a home run. You know, it's an amazing show. It's hard to think. You know, I think uh, in the same way that Josh Whedon will always think that Firefly is his best work, you know. I think right. that, you know, Dan Schatz, this this is your best work. And it's not that you don't have good work in you anymore, you know, <laughs> but, uh, you know, no. something like this is special. It's unique. Um, you just don't
12: – Well, that's what it is.
4: Yeah, you yeah. don't get this passion yeah. from just anything.
6: I'm right.
12: I'm sure you've seen it from people you talked to. Like, said so Dan Brown was a guy from the Wiki. There was another fan group that CBS created. You know, it's interesting that, you know, they used the wiki and the CBS boards were used against them. You know, the fan community they created actually kind of turned on them and, and uh, you know, turned the tables on them, which is kind of interesting. But, uh, again, I know you have other people to interview. I appreciate the time. And
4: How have you participated in the fan campaigns?
5: Well, I, I guess uh my participation dates back to uh um, literally the day the show got canceled. I remember being on uh, Sean Daly's uh, blog talk radio and we were uh, all uh kind of uh um you know uh Crying. Talking about the cancellation, and I, I'm not going to say <laughs> crying, but we certainly, <laughs> we're certainly uh, lamenting the cancellation of the show and and uh, you know beating up on CBS for the boneheaded decision to put the show in hiatus after it had great ratings and then put it up against bohemoth uh, television shows on other, on other networks. Mm. And when we talked about it, we talked about, you know, we talked about the the various, uh, you know, shows that have had second lives because of fans, and most notably Star Trek and such. And so the concept really came about is like, how could we, how could we make a, a point with uh, uh, with CBS? And and uh, um, that was the point. It was that conversation that I think I said everybody should go to the dollar store and buy a bag of nuts and send it to CBS. And and it sort of took off from there. And and um, you know, I, I pushed the Nuts campaign. We got uh, uh, Jeff Braverman at Nuts Online on board. That was uh, somebody that I found on the internet wow. and talked him into this crazy adventure. And um, I raised money to buy ads in. Uh, Uh, Trade Publications, Variety, and Hollywood Reporter, and uh, really just sort of, uh, I I guess I was sort of the marketing department behind the Jericho Rangers in a sense that uh, I was was out there supporting everybody's efforts through, uh, uh, like I said, marketing, uh, public relations, communications, that sort of thing.
4: So the whole peanut thing was your idea?
5: I mean, it's, I, I'm trying to. Re- I was trying to recall this because this conversation came up during the time we were sharing stories of the untimely passing of Sean Daly because it, it happened on his show, and I don't remember. I, I was trying to actually remember the exact genesis of it, but it was I was part of that conversation. I don't know whether it was it was Sean that rec- suggested, or, or it was me that suggested, or one of the other people that was in that conversation at the moment but i do recall that, that was that was that moment when we actually talked about that, 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 that rally call at the end of that last episode of season Which I 1 loved, where, by the way yeah well me too it was yeah. uh, it was a tremendous way to could you imagine if the show didn't come back and you got stuck with that cliffhanger holy mm-hmm. smokes yeah. but i mean it was it was during that conversation i mean i am not going to take you know full credit for it but i certainly had a piece of that that pie or that that, that legume and um, <laughs> uh, right. we it, we went it, it on from exam- there It is a legume. It's not a nut. It's not a nut. nut. So, actually, in effect, we actually totally screwed the campaign up because if it was nuts, we should have been saying them almonds.
2: That's right.
4: You're right. Yeah. 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 But people all, I know, peanuts are the most available, quote, nut. So, I mean, it is, yeah. yeah. Quote
5: unquote nut, yes. It's a user friendly nut.
4: Uh, Exactly. It's a very very accessible legume. (laughs) It is. It is, yes. Uh yeah I just think that is fantastic. I had no idea. So you are a part of the gestation if you will of the whole thing.
5: Yes. Campaign. Yeah, I mean I I mean lots of folks I, I I'm sure were out there, you know, uh, concocting their own schemes. And again, I don't want to. There was a lot of really uh, cool people that has some really cool ideas that that you know that both spoke of them and executed them so i'm i'm not going to suggest that you know that that uh um you know my one idea you know was the the be all and end all it was one piece of the the overall puzzle, and the thing that you know we managed to get a lot of publicity over and a lot of that publicity was created through, you know, the fact that we said, okay, do it. Now let's talk about doing it. Let's brag about doing it, and let's do it again. And that was sort of the, the, the methodology behind trying to actually get people's attention. The nuts was the sort of the uh, um, was sort of the uh, um, the big top show, you know, and and everything else was sort of, you know, all the other important work was going on around it. And it was other work was getting attention, I think, because of the nuts to a certain extent.
4: Uh, do you happen to have what the final numbers like in you know, poundage or uh
5: it was it was it was tons of nuts. Like it was literally tons of nuts. I mean I remember I remember the um the call from Jeff Braverman at, at Nuts Online and this is probably a couple weeks into the campaign, maybe not even that long because my idea with Jeff was when I called him, I just called him out of the blue, and I don't think he'd even heard of the show at that point. He went and watched it, and, and I said, what I'm looking for is I really want – I want to want like a telethon. I want it to look like the Jerry Lewis telethon so that when you go online, you, know, you can pledge your dollar, and you're going to see it in a little bar, and it's going to be equated to pounds of nuts. And I said, that way, we're going to get people hooked on this, right? So they're going to keep refreshing the browser. They're going to, get, you know, they're going to keep looking at this and, and determining, you know, what their contribution is going to add to this nuts thing. So that happened, and all of a sudden, like, the nuts meter starts going click, 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 thanks to Sean and all the other, uh, you know, folks that are pushing it out on the emerging. And remember, this is early day social media, too. There was This was, like, really early days in terms of, of you know, uh, the Internet, um, social media, um, and all those sorts of avenues of communication. But we saw this thing, click, 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 click. And then Jeff calls one day and said, like, we really have to deliver these nuts. I said, well, you know, we'll, we'll, just, we'll send them UPS. And he said, no, we would need a fleet of UPS trucks. There are so many nuts. And he, he, see, he was doing a rough calculation. He said, I can fill an entire truck with nuts. And I said, well, like what, Cuban? No, no, a tractor trailer. <laughs> so we we literally we, we literally packaged up the nuts they loaded them up in the trailer and sent them to new york and uh to c b s uh, in downtown uh manhattan i guess and at um their headquarters, which is a whole other story because i you know, we tied up traffic unfortunately, and I even had a i had an angry phone call from a New York City police officer who had prepared, because my name was on the way bill uh-huh. telling me that I had to move the truck or I was going to be charged with obstructing traffic or something along those lines and i 'm like so <laughs> incredulous i'm thinking like okay i'm here in Canada i don't think that they have any kind of uh i don't think they have any kind of reciprocal uh, extradition <laughs> laws <laughs> for traffic and for traffic issues in new York, so i'm probably safe saying i can't help you." Um, but we managed well, to get through I'm that. I'm sure but. you
4: know what's the perfect thing to say to a cop when you're in Canada and they want to cite you, right? Yeah. You tell them not. <laughs> yes. <nuts>. yes. <laughs> that's yeah, you. Nuts to you.
5: <laughs> 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 that's what is <it> <laughs> that.
4: Absolutely. Oh, that's just an amazing story and funny thing is, it worked. We got a second It season. did work. Yeah.
5: Yeah, it was it was awesome. It was uh it was well, it was such a stunning campaign when you think about it. When you think about the 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 volume of 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 Legumes that were showing up on their doorsteps, and the the letters and the phone calls and the conversations on social media um, and for that matter, the fan videos um, you know everything else that was going on it was just this, it was this monumental uh, tremendous campaign that you know it, 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 in some ways it's kind of sad because if if people had put this much energy into you know, uh, <laughs> charitable causes, we, we could probably, we could probably change the world. Um, or at least stop Donald Trump. But anyway, the, <laughs> I'm with the, you on that one. yeah, there you go. Um, but I mean, the, the reality was, is we, you know, these people got really excited by the, the notion that we could actually make this Fortune 500 company literally make a sea change, and 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 get them to to. to um, pay attention and they were starting to pay attention we were getting phone calls from you know assistants at cbs and it was continually to ratchet up to various you know folks within the cbs hierarchy we were calling to say please just stop it <laughs> like, you know, we we have nowhere else to put these nuts what are we going to do with them all and and uh um and we we knew at that point it was working the cool thing was is that uh one of the people one of the the the, the volunteers um mary erickson who is uh i think i can say her name now at the time she was covert but mm-hmm. she was um uh, a manager of one of the actors brad bayer on on jericho she's I don't know if you talked gonna, to she's
4: actually going to be on this program as well
5: oh she's such a cool lady you you'll love talking to her anyway she She contacted me out of the blue and said, you know um i can't really be front and center at this point because I don't want to affect my client or I don't want my client to be in trouble or you know she's not sure how Hollywood's going to react to this, but you know, I want you to know that you're having an impact. You're like you, People are paying attention to this, and you've got to keep up the pressure. And now she jumped on board, and she, she came under the... The pseudonym Macadamia Mary was her handle, in the uh, <laughs> um, uh, was very covert FBI, CIA-style uh, handle that we used, uh, and um, and she was giving us sort of that backside, uh, you know, uh, uh, commentary from from within um, both uh, Turtle Top Productions or uh, Junction Entertainment, I guess it's called, and uh, and you know her contacts even at CBS, and for that matter, even her client who was saying that you know what, maybe, you know they're they're possibly going to renew this show and there's talk and they've asked about my availability. So we started getting this bit of insight and immediately that was like, that was like lighting a, uh, you know, yeah. lighting a match. And more nuts. We, pardon me? More nuts. Yeah, hey, more nuts. let's go, go for, for more nuts. And that's when we said, okay, let's really hit them where they live. Let's actually go and embarrass them by, by literally having the fans take over to a certain extent, or at least the full page of one other publication, but let's, let's actually speak to them. You know, in their industry publication, that's when we we raised money um, um, to actually put the ads in Hollywood Reporter and and Variety, which basically said, you know, if if you don't start listening to your, I think, I, I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but it was something along the lines of, if you don't listen to your fans, you know, you're nuts. Jericho fans want the show back, blah blah blah, and it was it was this great campaign, and that was really that was the the clincher, I think. Um, that was sort of the icing on the cake, the, you know, the, the wrapping on the nuts, whatever you want to call it. But that was the thing that really, I think, sent them over the edge to say, okay, we got to listen to this. And maybe, just maybe, they said, there's an opportunity here. Wow.
4: That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I could talk to you forever. We do have to wrap it up. Um, can, uh, in, as In 30 seconds, mm-hmm. why is the Jericho story still relevant?
5: Well, I think the the Jericho story of, of um, you know hope after the worst possible scenario is still relevant in today's world, probably even more than it was at the time, because we always we still live in this dangerous world of you know so, you know so many minutes to, to midnight, and I think that people want to know that there is you know possible hope in the in the eventuality of the worst. Uh, possible circumstances, but also I think the the underpinning story of this thing is that there's goodness in community. That people people can come together, rally together, and be good to each other. Even people that may not necessarily know each other and may not necessarily have direct connections, but people can rally together, and 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 you know, and for the common good. The show told us this. The show showed us this. Uh, you know, through the writers and the brilliant writing of the show, how a community could come together and actually go through a really horrible circumstance that, you know, most people would just want to you know, maintain a bunker-like mentality and actually come together and try to affect good. But the campaign also showed us the same thing. So the, the, the relevancy today, like I said, is probably even more so than it was at the time. But it's just, you know, at the end of the day, it's just a really good story with some great cast and some great characters and some really exceptional writing.
4: Amen to that.
6: The great Quaker Life debate is
13: raging on. Quaker Life is an adult cereal. It's made from oats and packed with extra protein and vitamins. It makes the perfect breakfast for the woman who must watch her figure.
1: What a a brilliant, outdated, and overtly sexist commercial you found there, Marky. Well, it's
4: it's, uh, Eisenhowerian. There must be a better word for that. It's fifty. Oh, era.
1: you mean and like it's like like Cold War. Cold Warish throwback. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I get the connection. Uh, okay, the, the, okay.
3: Nuclear threats. Tenuous,
1: mm. but I'm there. Yeah. Uh, well, that's the best I could do.
4: They don't. They don't make like nuclear O's cereal, or I'm sure
1: they do. <laughs> they do I not. am positive that they do. <laughs> and you just didn't look hard enough. But I get what you're going for. The, and they surprisingly don't make Jericho's. Ooh, oh, you got
2: it on the phone! Woo. Snap! <laughs> I got Snap
1: you. to you, sir. That <laughs> yeah. was comedy, Jerry Gold.
2: Oh, oh, damn you, beat me, again. Ooh, Okay,
1: damn. all right, all right. Here we go. Let's bring this back. Let's let's yeah. just. So yeah. Oh, I got to tell you, since we started uh, the show here. Uh, several days ago, I've been able to finish the whole series. So, yeah, if you just want to talk to me like I know what's going on, speed this up, fine by me, Marquis. The only
4: thing I want to say is this. Uh, if I haven't said it enough times, for all of you guys that sent peanuts and, you know, many of you listening right now were actually, literally sent peanuts to people. Uh, it's
1: it's just so... Figuratively sending peanuts just doesn't get the job <laughs> no. done anymore.
4: No, you don't figuratively send. Exactly, you have to really physically send. Peanuts.
1: Yeah, yeah, that yeah. so just
4: doesn't make a good metaphor. And you know, like one of our, like it's been said, peanuts are a legume, and so you know, it's, it's, you're <laughs> right. I it must have been said. <laughs> it must have been said. And so, but look, I I am so grateful for all, for you guys. You guys are cavalier, man. You, know, you guys are you guys are sick. You guys are. You guys are anarchists. You know, like, this is, this Way is nuts. Way sick. You know, this is this nuts. This, I get this goes it. against everything that I understand about television. Look, uh. the big billion-dollar networks decide what I watch, okay? That's the that's the agreement. I don't pay them a penny.
1: Mm-hmm. I don't give them anything. Wait, wait what? No, oh. that's what it is. got to live by the Jericho. <laughs> oh,
4: damn. <dear. laughs> got me a kid. All right, but all of a sudden – CBS, which I have not paid for ever, tells me what to watch. Now, CBS has this special all access thing coming up because they want their own Hulu.
2: Mm, yep, yep. And
4: now that
1: I got to pay CBS, for it. CBS, famously yep. late to the game. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, it, it can't all be CSIs. So, yeah. look, so now it, that. It's made with just one giant button per screen. that. like. <laughs> a, like for, <laughs> For, for their the over seventy buttons. crowd,
14: <laughs> it's,
4: it's like a jitterbug phone. Look like at the big old <laughs> buttons. All right, but look, now that I'm paying for it, I don't know you crap, CBS. Now you got to give me what I want.
7: Yeah,
1: okay? turn the table. All right,
4: there. and I
1: want Jericho. Yeah, your your days of free peanuts are over.
4: That's right. That's right. And look, comic comic books, graphic novels, they are great. The Jericho comics are, are fantastic. They're amazing. I love them. But I want it back on TV. I yeah. want it now. Give me Skeet
1: and Major Dad.
4: <laughs> yes, well, he. I can't. I mean, should I even... You, I even you are
1: him? the one who just spoiled it. If there was a spoiler in there, that was you. He
4: dies, okay? All right, he dies. Are you happy now? Retroactive spoiler you. alert. <laughs> so here we go. All right, now, I want... I want CBS to hear me loud. I, we want Jericho back. Okay, let's get this show back on track. All right, yeah, Uh, let's put this thing back on the rails. We can still make this a tight five hours. Here we go, here we go, here we go. Byron Lafayette, Byron Lafayette. Where do I know that name from? Well, because uh, we interviewed him the other day. Oh, well, there we go. That ties it all together. uh, And uh, he had a lot to say. And, you know, let's just – magic interview machine – Morse code me some Byron Lafayette.
1: Um. (laughs) That's that's what they say. (laughs) (laughs) So I just kind (laughs) of wanted
4: to ask you, you know, tell us a little bit about your background and, you know, what about the show got you interested?
15: Oh man, well I've been a, I've been a fan for Jericho for for quite a while now. I'm I'm sad to say that I missed it on its first uh, first go around when it was on CBS and during the uh, the first fan campaign. But um, I really uh, I kind of came on board with it uh, once it came onto Netflix. Mm-hmm. It was a a buddy of mine who I was working with. You know, we were just kind of like sitting around and talking one day, and uh, you know, and he told me he's like, Hey, have you checked out this show, Jericho? It just came on Netflix and. He said, kind of like a post-apocalyptic 24. And I said, wow, that sounds kind of cool. You know, I love 24. I love post-apocalyptic type stuff. And I went and I I started watching the show and I I was just completely hooked on it. I couldn't stop watching it. It was just, you know, I want to say I went through probably like at least like six episodes probably in the first day. Mm -hmm. You know, and uh, it just really, you know, it's one of those shows where, yeah, you know, I can't really really say you know everything special about it that kind of draws you in. It's just one of those shows where just everything kind of went right with it, you know. And uh, you know, and just like you know, I've I've kind of worked in the you know inter- entertainment uh, entertainment journalism field for a while, and you know I've, I've watched a lot of TV, I've watched a lot of movies, you know I've written tons of reviews, <laughs> and unfortunately I've had to sit through some stuff that's not all the all all the best, you know. Well, yeah, it, just I was...
4: <laughs> it sounds like okay. you have uh, experience, you know, being a—I don't know if if this is a bad word, but a critic. So, critically speaking, what is it about Jericho that got you so into it?
15: You know, when I was first when I was first watching it, you know, it was just like you know what what really grabbed me was that it was it was good television was what I was what I referred to it as when I was you know telling my friends about it and such. That it was it was well produced. It was it was well filmed. You know the the cinematography was good with it. Um, it was very well written too. And it was just the, all the actors that they had in it were very high caliber. Even though like a lot of them were not necessarily the most well known of them. You know, and some of them even you know people would have considered maybe not the right you know pick. You know, Skeet to Be like, oh, he's from Scream. You know, but you know as as we all know, you know he was great in the role. Yeah. and it really allowed him to shine and that's kind of really what, what grabbed me was you know when you know unfortunately sometimes when we hear the post-apocalyptic term you know we we kind of are not expecting good writing you know it's kind of like all special effects and stuff like that but but with Jericho it was just it, it like so it was very well written and they took they took scenarios that necessarily weren't the most exciting and made them exciting like I I want to say I can't remember the exact episode, but where, you know, they were running out of air in the mine mm-hmm. and they were trying to figure out how to steal it from the radiation. You know, and it's like most people would say, wow, that's a really boring story, <laughs> you know. But they were able to to turn that into something that was very exciting and like, wow, this, this would be a real issue in a town like Jericho in a post-apocalyptic setting.
4: Yeah, that, um, they were even good about like putting a little murder mystery into that particular episode too, which I thought was a nice little twist.
15: Exactly. Yeah, it was something that wasn't really expected, and it was like, "Whoa, what's what's going on here?" You know, um, mm-hmm. "Yeah, you know, who killed this guy? Why did he die?" You know, "What happened?"
4: Yeah, yeah. I I, I always really really like that too. Um, just to touch on what you said about the the surprised writing in a post apocalyptic show. Um, wasn't I mean, wasn't that kind of a uh, that was kind of the first of what of, of what of what would become many. I mean, now we you know we talk about Walking Dead. You know, mm-hmm. now we talk about um, well, there's all kind There's Walking Dead and all of its variants, and uh, they're exactly. all really, really well. They're all well written, and I think that's mm-hmm. that is what's the distinguishing factor. So, uh, talk about that a little bit, but also, how ballsy was it that this show came on so close to after nine eleven? Mm-hmm.
15: That was something that was very, that was very incredible that, you know, it really was a, in my opinion, at least it was, it was almost kind of like a snapshot. I felt of kind of like post nine 11 America, Mm -hmm. Um, not to say it's not so relevant now, but. That, you know, kind of, you know, the way people felt and, you know, basically, I mean, everyone was, you know, really scared after 9-11. No one exactly knew what was going on. You know, I I remember myself with 9-11. It was like there was so much false information. You know, mm. I remember the morning of 9-11, you know, I was getting text messages saying China's bombed the Pentagon. You know, it was like mm. no one knew what was going on, you know. And, you know, to have that a show that comes out that basically says, you know, not only were, you know, it wasn't just an attack on buildings, it was an attack on the American way of life, you know, that destroyed it, so to speak. And that's what was so amazing, you know, with Jericho, I felt was that it, it, it was showing that, you know, America was not, you know, it was not its cities, it was not, you know, even its military, it was its people, mm-hmm. you know, and that's what I kind of felt like it was about hope. You know, and it and it showed how one thing I really liked about Jericho was that, you know, after 9-11, we saw, you know, how everybody was kind of coming together, you know, race, creed, religion, all that didn't really matter. You know, people were helping each other and such. And I felt that Jericho really kind of grabbed that really well in the sense of the town of showing that there was their conflicts, you know, and such. But for the most part, people really wanted to hang together and they really wanted to help each other. But I do completely agree with you that it was a very baldy move to to take that concept and kind of run with it, you know, run a marathon with it.
4: Yeah, yeah. Uh I, I think when you when you when you when you kind of looked at it and when you see how the town kind of reacted, uh it was a microcosm for the country at that moment. It's, you know, mm-hmm. we didn't know what was going on. They didn't know what was going on. We were isolated. We, you know, we were in the dark. They were literally in the dark.
11: Um, mm-hmm.
4: their, their enemies could have been from within. They could have been from from far away. They could have been China. There was a lot of, you know, there, there's all this stuff. And what I think that, that that the show did, and which is why I'm such a, a, a big fan, is that it put us right into that again. That feeling, and we lived it through the characters in the Jericho series, Mm -hmm. and it really allowed us to kind of look inward again, and to kind of face that again, you know, to kind of see how we all, you know, acted, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's uh, it's no more better uh, seen than in Jericho's leaders, uh, Mm -hmm. namely Johnston Green, and in uh, Gray Anderson, you know, you mm-hmm. have these two very bold differences in leadership. Um And they both, again, represent probably the two sides of the country at that time as well.
15: And I just thought mm-hmm. that was genius. Oh, exactly. I completely agree. I, I loved you know, because I was one of those ones that, you know, when um, Johnston, you know, was voted out of office, I was kind of upset. I was like, why did they do that? You know, I really liked him as mayor. Absolutely. But then when, yeah, when they brought in, in Gray, I was. I was, you know, I was very, you know, um, happy, I should say, to see kind of how they brought in that other side of it uh-huh. and that they showed, you know, the two political differences, the two very different ideologies, how to run the town, how to behave in this situation. And it kind of showed us, you know, there was a little bit of the conflict there, but it and also showed that, you know, I mean, exactly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Yeah, and and it said that even if we have political differences and some stuff, you know that a lot of times people, you know, they still want what's best for everybody. You know, just they yeah, sometimes I make,
4: think, make, and you know, and um, when you when you fast forward to the very last episode, you know, a season two uh, episode, what is it, eight? I think. I um, believe so. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Patriots and tyrants. <laughs>
4: yep. Exactly. Um, even though Gray Anderson, who I believed was a Moron most of the time. <laughs> you know, I, really I didn't was, agree yeah. with his uh, leadership style. At I didn't, I didn't care for his perspective. I didn't care for his leadership style. I thought he was ignorant. Um, but the one thing that I did not question, and what was very clear by the end of the series, and for all of you out there that are listening to this, and for some reason haven't seen Jericho, I'm going to spoil the end right now. So turn it off and go watch the series. But uh, Jericho by the by the by the end you know without a doubt that gray anderson loved that town and mm-hmm. and you know and i know that he may have approached it differently he did learn his lessons by the end obviously but you know he loved that town and everything he did was for that town maybe maybe he acted in fear you know maybe mm-hmm. a little bit but he definitely loved that town um mm-hmm. so before we get a little bit uh um be before we go off on tangents, um, I would like to kind of pull it back to like, you know, what was it about the? Um, oh, uh, can you tell us a little bit about how you participated in the fan campaigns?
15: Oh yes, definitely. You know, um, it was it was really I would say my um, my participation really began. Uh, you know, kind of like after I'd finished the show on uh, on Netflix. You know, like I said, I was you know I was amazed. I you know had a great time watching it. And, you know, then, of course, I I had already known that it had been canceled at that point, but, you know, just kind of, you know, curiosity, whatever, I decided I was like, let's see what's, you know, what's kind of going on with that. And, you know, I went on and I started searching, doing some research on it, and and I started finding, you know, these different websites here and there, you know. um, you know, there was—I want to say—the one that I ran across first. I, I cannot remember the name of the girl who was running it, but uh, she called herself uh, Jericho's, I think, littlest fan or something like that. <laughs> um, and uh, she—and you know, she was—I want to say she was only like about like ten or eleven, but she was mm-hmm. she was an outstanding journalist in the sense that she had. She had interviews from at least close to a dozen of the cast members, and she really ran a great, you know, her own version of the campaign for a while. But as I was, you know, noticing that a lot of the sites were dormant, you know, not everything was kind of, you know, was still running. And that's when I ran across Gwen in the Save Jericho campaign on Facebook, you know, and I kind of was like following the page, you know, liking, commenting, and such, And then I contacted her, and I just said, you know, hey, you know, I said, you know, I – yeah, I, I love Jericho, you know, and I, you know, and I said, I'm, I'm a writer, you know, I, I write a lot with, you know, entertainment stuff. And, and I said, I'd like to write some, some articles, you know, and stuff. And, and I said, Oh, here's one that I think your fans might enjoy. And that's kind of how it, how it took off, I would say, you know, and I've just been, you know, I, I try and, you know, write stuff that's of interest and, you know, I try and pass along information when I find it and hmm. such, uh, and you know, and I've just been—I've been kind of overwhelmed by by the amazing the amazing fans that Jericho has. You know, they're they're just they're incredible, really.
4: Uh, well, you can count me as one of them. Um, I would like to wrap it up, real you know, uh, here in the next uh, thirty seconds. Before before I let you go, what do you see in the future of Jericho?
14: You
15: know, I really feel like I think that Jericho is going to come back, and just from like all my experiences, you know, writing for entertainment, being a journalist and such, all the signs are there of it coming back. And I would not be surprised if we heard some news in the next six to eight months of either, you know, a movie, a new series on CBS Access. Um, I definitely think that Jericho is rising again, and. Personally, I think that CBS All Access is a perfect home for it. So, you know, I would tell the fans, you know, keep keep up hope. I think something's
2: coming.
4: Uh, I think you just named our next podcast. It's going to be Jericho Rising. Uh, (laughs) Everybody, (laughs) uh, please tell everybody your name again and where we can read your stuff.
15: Oh, definitely. Uh, my name again is uh, Byron Lafayette. Uh, I'm an entertainment journalist, and uh, all of my uh, work, especially my, uh, my Jericho stuff, is uh, um, now found at home on ViralHair.com. Uh, I'm the editor-in-chief there, and so, um, you know, all, all you Jericho rangers, you can come and read my stuff there, and, you know, let's uh, let's get the ball rolling on Jericho again.
4: All right, partner. Thank you. Uh, we all, all have a right. the cause. There, all right. Yeah. Thanks again.
15: All right. Thanks, Mark.
4: <laughs> Take care. Bye-bye.
11: Yeah. Okay. Bye-bye. Quaker Life is for kids. It tastes too good to be for adults. Of course, it is very good for a girl's figure.
12: (laughs) You heard it. Quaker Life's got adult nutrition. That tastes good to kids. Try some, yeah?
1: Try some, yeah? Try some, yeah? Put put some of this Quaker Life in your mouth hole and start chewing it, yeah? That's
4: how my grandpappy talks, yeah? (laughs) <laughs> oh Jesus, that was good. Kitchen
1: the little girls Stop. busy. Oh, that's terrible. I, wow. I understand why you went back to the archives to get some of these, but man, I know that dark. commercial was. I, and I think he said it has dark nutrition too. I don't know nutrition. what that means. <laughs> well, it's a segregated South. Oh.
4: No, <laughs> I. I'm sorry, I went there. Well, oh, but you know, it's
1: Jim, it's Jim Crow times,
0: huh? <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: right. How? How? all right. Well, we all really right. got to So one word with uh, Jared Jim Crow. Uh, oh, you did it! Ah, oh, did. Jim, you went there. You went super dark.
4: Ooh. All right, but anyway. Yeah. So. So there we go. Uh, we're 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 coming we're down to Jericho, right? We yeah, yeah that's right. About Jericho. We are. We are talking about Jericho, and you were going to ask me about the Morse code.
1: That's right. I was sure. because I don't. You've been playing this Morse code. Yeah. You, you've you've uh, you've taken away the usual. Meanwhile, for uh-huh. uh, for a magic interview machine, somehow you tricked it into doing Morse code. What is this Morse code? Okay. What is right. what is happening? What are you trying to say? Am I in danger?
4: Well, I've been wanting to tell you. And I've been you know you almost you don't deserve this insight right now. But I'm gonna oh, okay. It I got to me. No, no, no. Sit, sit. sit, 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 fun, sit. Mark. Sit down, huh? All right. So look, this this is one of the. Coolest things any TV show has ever done. Now, as you know, some most TV shows have like their theme music. What do you do, baby? La 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 la. Without right. us. Exactly. All yeah. right. And the whole point of it is, is that as soon as you hear the music, you know, you old ladies uh, put down the dishes and get down there and watch your and watch your cereals. Okay. <laughs> you see
2: what I did? I guess I did.
4: I'm going back to Eisenhower. Yeah, you, right. you are. Okay. You are. So then, so but what? what Jericho does is they, they do what's called a cold open where it just kind of starts the show. Uh, okay? Like lost. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then it, you know, it kind of, it kind of crescendos, in, crescendos into like this, to this like high point, And then it cuts off and then you see the famous Jericho, you know, it's like a, it's like in the TV static kind of, you know, you yeah. hear like, Diddy, and then all of a sudden you hear Morse code. Okay. And, uh, and, and, it sounds, to the uneducated, that it's all the same.
1: Yeah, it just sounds like Morse code.
4: Well, yeah, but it's different every time. Every single episode, it's saying something differently. And it's obviously alluding to something that's coming or that's going or whatever. And they've, there's been plenty of kind of inside jokes, you know, uh, famously. Um, season 2, Episode 1, it spells out, we're back.
1: Oh, yeah, that's, that's cool. Okay.
4: And so... Do, 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 do,
1: do. Ned Stark dies. Do, 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 <laughs> no, that's a spoiler. You don't want to do that. What if oh, you somebody... do it in Morse code? <laughs> yeah, who, who even knows that anymore?
4: Oh, cool. Well, Hawkins does. You know who Hawkins is? Who's Hawkins? You don't know who's Hawkins. Okay. Anyway, so Ooh, so <laughs> so as you may have noticed, with that, you know throughout the episode, there's been various Mor- Morse codes.
1: Yes, yeah, Morse codes. Codes of
4: Morse. Yes. Morse of course. Course. Go on. Continue. Codes of Morse. Okay, and. Um, so yeah, we just thought that would, you know, I just thought that might need some some explaining.
1: Yeah. So now eagle-eared uh, listeners, go ahead uh, rewind backwards and try to and try to <laughs> try, try to, to catch try to make out what I was trying to that was, say. That was being yeah. said. Yeah, exactly. Uh and um
4: so and th- that's actually something that I didn't know when I first watched it. I, you know, I just recently learned it and if if you're if you've only seen this show once through, or twice through, or three times through, or four times through, or five times through, or six times through, or seven amateurs, times through, or whatever. If you go to savingjericho.com, they have uh, they they have a list of all the episodes, and it has the the titles of the show, what the Morse code says, okay, and even it actually continues in the in the graphic novels as well. You know, if you turn to like the cover page, you see the little dashes and stuff. Ah. So it's got all the translations for that too. Oh. So you know, it's part of the mythos. It's part of the you know, it's part of the inside information. It's part of the inside joke, I guess. It's it's something that again just highlights how truly amazing this this show is, or was, or will be again. Yeah. Um, so the last three, I'm going to give you guys the the last three were we pledge allegiance. To the flag, that was the last three. That uh... well, you're going to hear "Allegiance" and "To the Flag" coming up next. Oh, okay. So, uh,
1: the spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Morse code listeners. Exactly.
4: The next interview that we that we did is somebody who is very, very special. Um, basically, the whole campaign could not have happened without somebody on the inside. Yeah, there was a. There was somebody that was working in Hollywood that knew what was going on, and that was feeding the campaign information. Oh, it's uh, it's an amazing. This is like some espionage. You know, this is this is this is some spy crap going on right now. Right, right. It's really amazing. And so, uh, you know, we have the the good fortune of of tracking her down. Her name is Mary, Macadamia Mary. Also, and she had she had she has a couple of names. Yeah, when you're in the spy business,
1: you know. You get you, you need you yeah, need exactly. a couple extra gnome de pleurs in well, your it, pocket.
4: Gnome de pleurs. That's a good uh-huh. one. Monikers. That's what I like.
1: Yeah, well, I well. like that one.
2: Yeah, yeah.
4: So, but without me blowing this, magic interview machine, Merce
14: Okay.
4: Okay. And would you please say your name and how do people in the Jericho world know you?
13: Uh, Mary Erickson, and I guess they would
4: know me as P. Mary. Oh, that's right.
13: Or Macadamia Mary.
4: Macadamia Mary. (laughs) Yeah, we noticed that uh, there seems to be a nut theme going on with all you guys. Yes. I wonder why. Well, we are actually not alone. We have a guest interviewer with us today. Uh Uh-oh. Okay. Have you you ever met the lovely and talented Holy Hobbits?
13: Uh, I don't
4: think so. <laughs> okay. She's been at the fan tables a lot here at San Diego Comic-Con, and uh, since we're both in the same city, I asked her to come down to the studio. and.
11: Oh, great.
4: Um, and, yeah, so say hello, Holly.
11: Hi, Mary. Hi, how are you? I'm good. You? Good, thanks.
4: Thank you for joining us, and I know we're running a little bit of late, so we're going we're gonna to do a super speed round type of uh, discussion here. Um, okay. Okay. So we know right now that you are one of the insiders. You're one of the ones that you were covertly (laughs) behind the scenes, uh, uh, feeding information to this Frankenstein's monster. That was a rabid fan community. And can you tell us a little bit about your experience with them? or or your experience with that? Yeah,
0: so um,
13: I represent Brad Byer. I'm his manager who played Stanley on uh, Jericho. One of
2: our favorites. And,
13: uh, yeah, and uh, I had, you know, I visited a lot of sets in my day, and it was just such a happy place. Like, you know, everybody got along great. The producers were really lovely. It was just one of the happiest sets I'd ever been on, and Brad was just thrilled to be doing the show. And... We thought the show was doing pretty well. I mean, we were we knew we were kind of on the bubble, as they call it in Hollywood, which means you know it could go or get canceled. You know, it was kind of you know could go either way, sort of thing. And um, they called in Skeet and Lenny about a week before the upfront. The upfronts are, uh, you know, uh, they show the new season to the um, the buyers and to advertisers. And so you wait every year for Upfronts because they're going to announce the new slate and the new season at Upfronts. So about a week before Upfronts, they brought Lenny and Skeet over and asked them if they were having fun, if they enjoyed the show. And, you know, they, of course, raved about it. So we were kind of thinking, you know, handicapping things. We thought we were looking good for a pickup or else why would they bring Lenny and Skeet over and make sure they were happy? Hmm. So I was literally on the red carpet uh, with another client on another show and another network when my husband started calling me and saying, oh my God, they just canceled Jericho. And uh, I was shocked, but I was stuck, you know, on the red carpet and dealing with this other <laughs> issue. So I couldn't wait, you know, couldn't do anything until I got home, but I was just so surprised because we had all kind of decided that things must be looking good. So um, when I got back to the place that i was staying the hotel um my husband said oh these fans are very very mad they're mad you know because we were all on the cbs board or he, he my husband found his way to the cbs board we had been on it before and he said well these fans they're really upset you know and i and i said well yeah you know I, I can understand it was kind of a shock um and it was all kind of happening like in live kind and then the first moment that it sort of kind of for me, anyway, gelled was that um, this guy Jeff Noel up in Canada wanted to buy nuts, and I guess he was having trouble <laughs> buying nuts in the United States because <laughs> I don't I don't really know where the whole nut thing comes from. I mean, I know where it comes from the reference to the show, but I don't know who started saying we should send nuts. It might have been Sean Daly, not really sure. Um, but uh, Jeff kind of was trying to figure out how to get nuts from Canada and didn't want to you know pay whatever. Tax and shipping and all that. So he had found his way to this Nuts dot com guy, <laughs> and very quickly they developed this idea to build, you know, to build a hot button where people could just order nuts and they were going to batch deliver them to CBS in New York. And wow. all this was happening within, you know, really, I want to say like maybe twenty four hours of the cancellation. Because if if people really had had to go to the supermarket and buy nuts and then go to the post office and mail nuts, it probably would have been, uh, you know. Would died quickly <laughs> you know but this nuts.com thing made it you know you could just sit in front of your computer and buy some nuts so it went crazy very quickly and people just started sending nuts and I, I can't even remember how much the first shipment was but it was it was a substantial amount of nuts and so it just sort of kind of caught on fire and um so my husband, was, he was closer to a computer because I was working, and he said, you know, this guy in Canada seems, you know, he seems like a pretty... You know, and most people all had handles. We all had these kind of fake names. So nobody really knew who anybody was. But Jeff had his first and last name out there as his, you know, in the universe. And somewhere along the way, it had been mentioned he was like a councilman in Canada or something. So my husband does a quit Google and figures out how to reach him because he was a public figure.
2: <laughs>
13: so... Uh, based on his sort of savvy for coming up with this nut button idea, I called him up and I said, listen, I, I, you know, at this point I'm very nervous that I could be blackballed from CBS or something. You know, I, I didn't want to be too overt about who I was or that I had any real connections, but I called him up and I said, listen, I, I'd love to help. i um, not really sure what we can do, but – um, you know, I think you know you seem like a guy who's got his head on screw, screwed on right, and you know maybe there's something we could we could do. So we started talking. He turned out to be a very bright guy, and we started talking about how, you know, there have been a lot of instances of fan communities where people were upset because their show got canceled. But you know, is that going to sustain, you know, over a period of time? So when we started talking about just the trends and what was happening and me being in New York at the upfront, I said, you know, people are very upset about the ratings and Nielsen, and now there are all these new platforms, you know, TiVo and DVRs and everything, and, and are the, are the Nielsens still relevant? So we kind of, between the two of us, kind of came up with this um, idea that we would send out a nutty press kit to a bunch of press Uh, giving them some peanuts that uh, the Nuts guy was happy to provide. And we wrote a press list that was really like, you know, are the Nielsen still relevant and used Jericho as the touchstone for why the conversation needs to be had. Uh, Because we decided if we just made it about fans being upset about their show, it it wouldn't have legs. So we sent out, I want to say about 40 of these press kits to talk, because I used to be a publicist, so I I had connections with the press. So we sent them out to, we UPSed them out to all of these, these journalists, and people started to run with the story. And at the same time, of course, the fan community is, you know, the genuine fans are also sending like tons and tons of nuts. And so I was, every morning I would send out these, um press releases continuing press releases to the email to all the press people that I had uh and it was kind of the update on the nuts report and the u p s shipping number so that they you know could you know another you know seven thousand tons of nuns are going over you know and and I remember i you know you, the body of the letter I could just you know cut and paste and slap it in, but every time I had to you know retype them the subject line and I remember my my subject was Jericho we're not just nuts and I would type it so many times that I I remember once I I sent it off and it said we're nuts (laughs) 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 which is pretty crazy so so originally mainly was working with Jeff but then through you know through the community like other people emerged that seemed to be you know sane and smart and you know there were some great people with the you know, numbers and this guy uh rubber poultry who was just a genius with creating these um images and uh he was making you know at one point i'm sure you know even made a full-blown commercial like i mean there were just some really cool people out there with some great ideas and generating interesting information and um you know really supporting uh some of our theories with 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 facts and and you know just uh some some it was a, it was a really exciting and creative community of people um and uh but you know of course I didn't reveal who I was to really Jeff was the only person I knew at first and then eventually I, I somehow ran into Gwen along the way and, and we all she look um <laughs> right Gwen is you know she is like you know the original Jericho fan and very organized Gwen at one point there was a quite a group of us i don't even remember now how many but um and i think this was kind of spearheaded by Gwen there was an idea to try to become a not-for-profit thing the Jericho fan community and we were Gwen did a lot of that work on that see because we were at that point we were thinking of even hiring a full-time publicist for the movement um to try to help, you know, propel it to another level. And, and, uh, you know, and then of course, along the way, very quickly along the way, the first time, you know, after they got, I can't remember what it was now, about 40,000 pounds of nuts, CBS caved in (laughs) and renewed the show, which was great. Uh, so it was just a really exciting thing to be a part of. I mean, it was historic and, um, and fun and, uh, you know, I think at first, you know, the cast and some of the other people were a little nervous. You know, we were all kind of nervous to stick our necks out too far because, you know, we didn't want to be, you know, in trouble with CBS. Um, and uh, But then it got to the point, as you know, where the actors were even doing videos and <laughs> supporting the fan campaign and and uh, it was—it just—it was—it was exciting and fun and historic. And I met some really great people along the way. And and uh, you know, I feel like we were all part of history.
4: All right, that was Mary. That was Mary. And thank you all for joining us for the Jericho Marathon. Uh, and we're in the third hour, and uh, we saved the best for last. This is this is Gwen. I know we say we don't like to play favorites, but, no, I do have a favorite. You're going to play favorites uh, here, Absolutely. Huh? Shame. And we're going to let her take us out here, okay? So say bye to all the Jericho
1: Rangers, will you, Grim? We'll ger- see you later. Oh, that's such a bad one to end on. Hold Give me another hour. I'll come up with something better. Hold okay. on. Okay. Clock
3: starts
7: now. Boop, boop, boop,
1: boop, 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 boop. I'm giving you hints.
7: Boop, 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 oh,
4: oh, oh, I can't. It's no. way too fast. <laughs> okay. Magic Interview Machine, one last
16: time, more Scotas. Okay, I go by Gwen Mackenzie Roder, and my um, handle is Ratkeeper.
2: <laughs> That's right,
4: Ratkeeper. Can you tell me? i just, I just need to ask. What is the origin of rat? Do you have rats?
16: Yes, I have two pet rats.
4: You have two pet rats. Okay, and what are their names?
16: Robin the hooded rat, and made Marion, <laughs> of
4: course, there's that. <laughs> well, that's great. I think that's that's sweet. I'm sure they're very adorable. People. and
16: Robin is actually the coloring is a hooded rat,
4: <laughs> unbelievable. Um, that's good. I love that, okay, so um we just got the phone with with Mary, and she she went over uh, what was the you know what the the kind of the insider history. Um, mm-hmm. and, and we talked about kind of the the, the beginnings of the Jericho campaign, and you know, we've covered everything about Jericho. You're the last interview. <laughs> what? Where is Jericho going?
16: Well, I believe it's going to CBS All Access, and I think it might come out next year, hopefully.
4: You're thinking that soon, or is well, it that late? Well, they still
16: haven't announced. They're one that's going to come out in November of, of 2017.
4: Uh-huh. Um, and it seems like they have a little slot available, right? I mean, because they've announced uh, Star Trek. And yeah, they've like announced
16: that they, they would have three to four series a year, and they've already got the first three lined up. One it's starting this fall, one is starting in February, and one is starting in May. And their next slot would be summer to fall, and they haven't announced that series yet.
4: Any other rumblings,
16: not that I've heard of, and I've tried to keep my ear to the grindstone. I mean if they didn't um it was the one that they there was just a promising one that they cancelled on the network and and because it wasn't getting the ratings on broadcast, and they didn't move that over, so it's um, still open for their next big draw audience draw, and I think Jericho is that show,
4: yeah um. Now I'm, I am aware of this subtle little hint, this little Easter egg that CBS All Access did, and it was if you, if you go on their website and you kind of watch what is basically their commercial and they're, mm-hmm. you know and it's, they're like just flashing like your favorite, you know like, uh, it, it's trying to give you a picture of what types of series you can watch on the All Access site, which is basically a, a Hulu paid subscription kind of thing, or it's like a Netflix kind of thing. And it's they're they're going into the original programming, just like all these you know streaming services are doing. But when it says CBS is bringing you fan favorites like, and it says Star Trek, and it says The Good Housewife, and then it says Jericho, Jericho, it's like the third one.
16: Yeah, it is the third one on that list, and that list appeared um, sometime after Comic Con this year. It wasn't there before.
4: What did that do to the Jericho community? just just the just, just the fact that it was on that on that brief commercial
16: well the fans that believe something is happening are very excited those who don't believe something is happening are just ignoring it
4: <laughs> well we don't want to talk about those jerks i'm just kidding <laughs> no let's 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 go into this let's go into what it would mean for that show to come back
16: well, it would, the first and foremost, it would mean that we get new story. Second, yeah. it would be that, be that it beat the curb of 10 years to get back. It's been 10 years since its premiere, but only 8 since cancellation.
4: And what do you And mean if it comes back curve? at
16: 8, um, in fan circles, the normal average of years that it takes a show to get back is 10. If it beats the average, then it goes way up in interest.
4: Really? I didn't know that, that such numbers existed.
16: It's a rough estimate, but everybody says, you know, if you're going to wait for it to come back in its second generation, it's going to be at least 10 years. Wow. If it doesn't come back right away, that is the guaranteed link that, you know, it takes takes five years to build a business (laughs) and, you know, and to get an audience for that business. You know, after cancellation, it would take at least five years to get a grassroots movement going.
4: So, I mean, in that, in that cycle, you know, where do you think we are? I mean, is it, um, well, I mean, I don't mean in a chronological sense, but I mean in a kind of in a, in an emotional sense. Are, are we, because of our rabid fan, you know, be, because of our fandom, do we get a couple of more years on that because we're a little bit more into it? Or is it just, or we have a couple of years to, to, to pull this off?
16: I think it's going to happen very soon. I think we're at the end of the life cycle rather than at the beginning. It's been 10 years since its premiere. It's been eight years since cancellation. But we've done a few things that other fandoms haven't. One is that we've stayed a constant presence at Comic-Con, and that has really helped us. Um, I can remember there are times when, you know, we're telling everybody about the third season graphic novel, and after the convention, I go look at Amazon, and it's out of print. And that's mm-hmm. happened more than once.
4: Well, I mean, that's just amazing to me. That's <laughs> still – I mean, like, I can't think of other shows that still have been dormant for this for this long just kind of keep doing that. Now, it's one thing if it's like The, the X-Files. That had 10 years almost of, of TV seasons to – kind of build up this huge audience. Jericho did not have that yet. It has all the benefits of a of a long lasting series.
1: What is it about yeah, the Yeah, neither show? Did, did Star it
16: Trek. Neither did Star Trek. It only it had three years, but right. it, it it barely it wasn't even up at a hundred episodes. So it's what it is about the show is the same thing it is about Star Trek. It's a story of hope. Um and the hope to, is the reflection on society, and in our current society, we really do feel that the government is going to fold and what is going to happen to us. And it's the story of the survivors in Jericho that allow us to play out that story in our mind. That's why this drama is so compelling. Yeah. And all post-apocalyptic dramas like it, they're very compelling.
4: Yeah, I think, but, um, you know, uh, I can think of the uh, Walking Dead uh, and that one doesn't have the same uh, rise up for for nation for you know for God and country you know that 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 Jericho has. There is something unique about Jericho and how it handles the the apocalypse in that it's not just about survival; it's about society in a way.
16: Society and the story and, of rebuilding
4: and rebuilding. Yeah, and I I just I don't know you know i can't really think of a post apocalyptic show that does that it's really just about survival i mean that's usually what you get out of a post apocalyptic show this one's unique you know this one this one goes deeper,
16: but there are others coming up that are very similar. Designated Survivor is going to be mm-hmm. about rebuilding the country. Yeah. The Last Ship is about rebuilding the country. Sci-Fi is going to have one set after this. Uh, no, it's TNT is having one set after the Civil War, which was again about rebuilding Reconstruction. That's the the era that we time it and tell it is in history is Reconstruction. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, you're right. And, you know, it, it's funny that I it, I never allowed myself to even go there, you know, uh, thinking about it. I mean, it just it wasn't really a part of um, – I didn't think about that analogy. But, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's it's crazy.
16: Yeah, I mean, it was the story of rebuilding of a section of our country. And and that, although, you know, in history we kind of term it in sad terms, it was the tale of their survival, their rebuilding. Mm-hmm.
2: Well,
4: and it's, you know, in the life of the Jericho television series, it hasn't gotten to the rebuilding yet necessarily. I mean, no, it it's, hasn't. It's, it's definitely getting there. You know, right now we're still looking at, ma- you know, lines on a map. You know, this is them, this is us, and, you know. Um, still Depends
16: th- on where they pick up the story, because it's now ten years after those bombs were dropped in real time, and Jericho was kind of told in real time.
4: Right, right. And so... Um, if you were to go back to the uh, graphic novels, um, season three, how long down, you know, is that a couple of years away from season two?
16: Yes, there's a series of, I think there's a, a timeline that they say it's about 18 months. So it jumps ahead to 18 months in that. Um, I'm pretty sure it's Fairly chronological in season four, um, but they leave us on a big cliffhanger in the start of the war, and we have no idea where they're going to pick up the show and how much time period will have elapsed since the the end of the graphic novels. So the graphic novels maybe took us two or three years out. It did not take us ten years out.
4: Well, and we've you know we've we've seen shows that have had a long you know break. And they have come back, and they seem to ramp it up really quickly. The the X Files did that recently. I mean, it was fantastic.
11: Twin Peaks as well is doing that as well. They're
4: gonna okay. Um, uh, Star Wars did that with the uh, Force Awakens, where it just kind of dumps you into this new set of problems, this new set of issues, and it's kind of up to us to kind of piece together in a way what happened before. Like, there's not really flashbacks necessarily. You know, it doesn't really go through a lot of that stuff. It's just. Here are the characters you you love. Things are better, but not great. Or problems are still here, and you know. Hopefully, there's still a steamy relationship. You know, I would be I would my heart would be broken if steamy didn't didn't survive. But uh, you know,
16: CBS just did that with Zoo. They jumped it ahead five years. At the end of this season, they're going to jump five years. With who? Zoo. Zoo. Mm-hmm. CBS's Summer Zoo, um, which is an animal apo- uh, you know apocalyptic, where the animals go, you know, rise up against the humans.
4: I did not, I did not hear about this show at all.
11: It's really good. The first season's on Netflix. I don't know when the second one's going to drop. I'm waiting okay. for that too. I'm like, no. <laughs> no
16: spoilers? Is that what you mean? <laughs>
2: <Yeah>.
16: <laughs> well, you well know- I'm only going to tell you it jumps. The time period jumps. Okay, okay, okay. Well, I I didn't
4: even know that that show existed what i what I do know is that uh what I see in this particular show uh what I see in jericho um well, am I thinking of it in the right context, and I'm just going to just throw it out there is is Jake Noah
16: I hadn't really thought of that before but it's a similar analogy about a rebuilding. Um, Whereas, you know, where the,
4: you know, the actual town is the boat, right? And everybody's, you know, he's got to bring everybody in and basically steer them and, and save them.
16: Yeah. I would say that, that the Jericho town could be considered the ark, the boat, uh-huh. um, because that's where everything, the resistance is going to start for one thing.
2: Yeah.
16: And, you know, did start there. Um, but the, Where Jericho can go go with the story is not necessarily all going to be set in the town. Um, Whether they'll, you know, actually have other stories, I don't know, but they could have other stories. You know, just like the world of Star Trek was not going to stay just on the Enterprise. They can do so much with the Jericho story. You know, The Walking Dead just had a prequel. Um, set in a different part of the country. There's no reason why they can't do that with Jericho. We all want to know what happens in our hometown, what's happening in the Jericho universe in the Bay Area. Did it get destroyed yeah. completely? Is it rebuilding? Oh, I would. What I mean. happens in San Diego, which definitely got a bomb.
4: <laughs> yeah, well, we all, I mean, I'm I'm in the Jericho world. I don't exist because mm-hmm. I live in San Diego. <laughs> so. Yeah,
16: I want to see the story of the year before the bomb when uh, Jake goes to Comic-Con. <laughs>
4: That's right. That would be hilarious. I actually, uh, it's funny because in that, in that episode, uh, Jake ends up meeting with his friend's wife. I forget her name. because um, you, you know,
16: It was Freddie's girlfriend. Freddy, I don't yeah, remember the yeah, name. Yeah.
4: And he ends up meeting her in a bus station in Albuquerque. Right? Do you guys remember this part? Mm -hmm. Okay. I know that that's not Albuquerque. I am from Albuquerque, and Albuquerque does not have palm trees. (laughs)
2: <laughs> it's a mile-high
4: city. You can't have palm trees in Albuquerque. So if you ever get hold of – if you ever talk to the writers, I don't ever want to see a palm tree in Albuquerque again. That's the only
16: mistake – That's all right. That's People a- don't like seeing mountains in, Jer- in Kansas. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> it, it's creative license. What sets are available near you?
2: That's
4: absolutely right. Um, one of the things that I actually – I had the chance to ask Mary this, and I wanted to ask you this, is um, is the Richmond Farm the same house that Dwight ends up in in the Office show? I know it's a big, cutting question. Do you have the answer to this?
16: In, in the what show?
4: In the Office, you know, the, the, the sitcom, The Office
16: i didn't want, I don't usually watch comedy, oh. so i don't I don't know. Um, we could look it up on i m d b and see if the filming um, area is the same it's the It's called the Carnival House. It was built for the show carnival it's in outside of Simi valley and the 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 ranch that it's in is called big Sky Ranch.
4: Carnival like the the h b o show mm-hmm. that's the same house yeah. in carnival I love that show
16: it's it's the carnival house that's what it's called on the website you know for Big Sky Ranch.
4: I had no idea. Okay, I I love this house. Um, Have Have you ever taken like a a field trip there?
16: I tried, but um, the entire ranch is also under a sublease to the mining company, Uh and there's big signs up that says, "You go past this road, you get hit with a three hundred (laughs) dollar fine."
3: Wow, really?
16: Yeah, I took a field trip out there. It it took me over 100 man-hours to find it on the map because all they would tell you is it's outside of Simi Valley. And then I got told that you turn left at the mining thing, and I was looking for the business, not the road.
11: Uh
16: (laughs) So I finally found it on an aerial map, and I could get there tracing the aerial map, but it's a pretty hefty find.
11: So I looked it up and it's actually not the the, uh, Big Sky Ranch from the office. Oh,
4: from the office? So Mm -hmm. I was totally wrong. Darn it. (laughs) <laughs> I am crushed now. I was like, "Oh, Aww. there's." It looks exactly like it. It's the, it's yellow. It's got the same kind of porch looking thing. Mm-hmm. Ah, it's a model home, I'm sure. <laughs> um, okay, now that that mystery. It tall, is
16: the one that's tall. used in um, I think the State Farm commercial.
4: I I do remember that. I remember that. I remember the State Farm commercial. Yep, yep. And then
16: somebody uh, put on um on on my Facebook page. Um, did Stanley and Mimi settle down after the thing and start selling insurance from their
2: house?
4: <laughs> I know that's so funny that's 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 fantastic. Um, I was talking to uh, Holly uh, earlier about the relationships that are in Jericho um, and it it's amazing to us, and I think we both agree on this is that in all the chaos in this post in this post apocalyptic world real relationships um were rekindled in the case of Jake and Emily and because of the tragedy an amazing relationship in Stanley and Mimi happened or as it's popularly known Steamy
14: and mm-hmm.
4: you know can you kind of talk about uh, about the relationships and uh, you know, and kind of what they mean to to you in a, in a general sense, but also just to the fact that this is a post-apocalyptic world and they seem to find time to fall in love with each other.
16: Well, they certainly did after the Civil War. <laughs> You know, how else is the next generation going to spring up from the affected area if there's not relationships and romances? Now, we have Stephen Chabosky to um, count for a lot of it. You know, when he read the script, when he was brought in from the first script to do the pilot script, he said we need more women and we need more romance. So he's to blame for a lot of this. The story of Stanley and Mimi... Um, it resonates in me because I love Stanley's sense of humor, and because Mimi is the one, the fish out of water, and a lot of us that you know don't feel like we fit in a normal society would emphasize with her story. She is not a part of the community; she becomes a part of the community,
4: and she becomes one of the most important ones. I mean, she was the one yeah. that, that uncovers the big conspiracy. Um, you know, she was she, she she puts her life in jeopardy. For this, you know, for this town, and she there's there's a naturalness to their relationship build. Yet it escalates very quickly. It seems to come out of nowhere. Yet it's so natural, all all at the same time, to me.
16: Well, we get part of their story in flashbacks, and and the day before we we see their, you know, not only they run each other onto the street, but they run into each other on the bar, and then you know. And the, and the, the progressive story of she goes to live at the ranch because her hotel closes.
4: Yeah, that's right. That's right. And she's there to so she, it, she's there to basically find him and, you know, take his farm away in a in a ironic yeah. 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 Um okay. Hold hold on. Do you have a question?
11: No, um he's trying to find the Golden Oak Ranch, which might be the which one are you getting confused with? Bear um, with me, Gwen. Sorry.
16: <laughs> no, well, um, Big Sky
11: Ranch is the one that, um, is that
16: has the carnival house.
4: Okay. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. There. I, I have a crack team of reportive journalists trying to figure out where the office house <laughs> is.
16: <laughs> but
4: we're okay. We're going to try to get to the bottom of this one later. Um, okay. So when it when it uh, when it when it comes to this to this show. Um, what was it that inspired you to be not only involved in this, but to actually take the role of, you know, one of the leaders?
16: Well, my housemates would say at the time that it was because I was too young to save Star Trek. Um, <laughs> one of the things that got me so involved with it, it you know, that continued my involve w- involvement with it was the the start of the graphic novel. Because... As a TV fan that watches TV but doesn't read comics and didn't go to Comic-Cons, I never knew that Buffy and Angel continued. Yeah. I'm mad that nobody told me that it continued. <laughs> so as I tell the fans, I'm here because no one told me.
4: <laughs> so you don't want that to happen to anybody else?
16: I don't want that to happen to the Jericho fans. I want them to know that their story continues. Yeah,
4: yeah. And you don't, I mean... I have, I have known you for about, I don't know, seven years or so probably. I mean, I, I, yeah. I mean, I've known you a long time. You have never asked for any credit, anything. All you want to do is spread Jericho information for people. What is it that you get out of this?
16: Well, I love talking to the fans. You. You know uh, I love being a part of a, of, a, of a movement. I love being part of the big group at Comic-Con. Um, I love, you know, being at a big event. I've done run fairs before. You can have a very little part at the event, but you're still a part of the event.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, that's yeah. You're you're actually a part of it now, and that's that's.
16: Yeah, a- i I run Ger- uh, Jericho Grand Central. <laughs>
4: <laughs> that's amazing. Well, and you know, uh, tell us a little bit more about that experience working at the Jericho booth. And I'm going to bring. Um, uh, I'm going to bring in Holly here on this because she is actually, I'm sorry, Holly, uh, Holy Holly uh, um, uh because she's actually shared many a booth with you. So can, yes, she t- has. Yeah. Tell us about your experiences. Tell us about some of the people that come up, you know, uh, what's it like a typical day at the Jericho booth?
16: Well, I think the best moments are the fans that are literally in tears that they see something about their favorite show. I've had fan. One fan was just literally bawling. She said, "I've participated in so many save campaigns, and I never met an organizer until now." (laughs) You know, you know, she had been a blind, you know, kind of a minion out there, but nobody didn't ever get to talk to anybody on a one-on-one basis. That was, you know, doing what she was organizing, what she was doing and that you know that a lot of them just want to talk to somebody else about the show maybe their family didn't enjoy the show or their coworkers never watched it or something like that and they want to talk to somebody about their favorite show and they want somebody who gets it who gets why the show is so important why it fascinates me 10 years after it premiered we get fans that want to have their picture taken at the booth, so we we do that. We all get up, you know. We hand them the the Jericho Medical Center lab coat, and the <laughs> um, we have one of the mortars, and we put them inside, you know, in front of the big uh, "Don't Tread on Me" flag that's set, signed by a lot of the cast, and, that, and we that just is take the actual their picture flag, Right?
4: That is the actual flag. No,
16: it is not. Okay. Ours is better. Ours is better. Mm
4: -hmm. (laughs) Because yours is signed.
16: Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. It's because it's very thick, nicely made cotton. The one that they um, showed up in the air was actually nylon. Okay. And printed. Which is not authentic. Well, it's not authentic for flag, but I'm sure it waved very nicely. <laughs> That's absolutely true. Mine wouldn't, you know. And, and yeah, the way I true. got around everybody signing a flag was I made the flag into a banner. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah,
4: yeah, yeah. Uh, Kenna, uh, walk us through, well, for one, um, can you give us, you know, some of your experiences?
11: Uh, for me personally, I like she said, my favorite moments are when you have those fans in tears. Or that are just so angry, they're stomping their feet. Why hasn't this gotten back? Uh-huh. That's my favorite conversation. <laughs> or the ones that get so giddy when you hand them the, the lab coat to go ahead and take a picture. Yeah, that's just my favorite moment. And I've got a couple of those pictures still on my phone from this con. Uh-huh. And it's it's a blast. Yeah, and I, I sent out. one
16: of them to Mark to go on the slideshow. You know, on the player.
4: Yeah, you're gonna. Everyone's gonna see it. I'm gonna. I'm gonna, I'm gonna definitely post it. Um, yeah, uh, I had a
16: favorite uh, moment that's slightly different. I had this fan that just absolutely did not believe it was coming back. So I would listen to what he had to say, and then I said, but did you know? And we went through this like three times and finally said, okay, I get it. It might come back. <laughs>
4: <laughs> so after all that, you, you're, you're like playing tennis with him, you know, virtual tennis. Yeah, it
16: was, you know.
2: Yeah.
16: But he had no one else that could do that with him. He had no one else to bring him that sense of hope that I might see the story again except for someone who is following what the studio and the network is doing. <laughs> <Crazy>. <laughs>
4: uh Can you kind of walk us through the booth as best you can? What can someone expect to see there?
16: Well, they can expect, first of all, to, to see the big sign, Jericho. It's on the um it's on the table, you know. It's on the banner that has Jake in it, away uh, up on top of our, our our backdrop. You know that the br- visual and the and the word brings a lot of people in. Um, and then we have some props from the show, and we have the graphic novels arranged, and then we have um, the map of where we could be going, what where we left at, what the um, the U.S. looks like in in the Jericho universe, and the after many revisions, I finally got it kind of flowing right now where you know things from the show are on the left and you have the comics in the middle and you have the map on the right. And this is kind of a visual clue to the workers that we're going from show to bridge, which is the comics, to what comes next.
2: Mm-hmm.
16: And the map itself tends to bring in um, non-fans because they see this map of the United States divided up in our election era right now. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> they want to know why it's divided up that way.
4: <laughs> that's true. That's right. Well, it's not because of President Trump. But but <laughs> no, yeah. But. yeah. Uh, but okay, so so look, um we we have okay, so from 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 my memory of it, there's I've seen the you know one of the actual prop mortars, mm-hmm. okay, from from the from the series. I I remember the Don't Tread on Me um flag.
16: Mm-hmm.
4: Have you had one of the the New Alliance flags as well? Or was that a banner? I remember um, that. No, the,
16: the Allied states. No, we don't have a flag. Okay. Um, I had once started to make one and counted kind of cross stitch when the table was not doing much, um, but that quickly went by the wayside when you have to talk so much.
4: <laughs> and I remember, and you have the lab coat. Oh, and you have um, Emily's like shirt, and and it, and it's got the blood on it.
16: We have um, that was the. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um we have the one from Hawkins' partner sarah that the, that she got killed in it oh, and it no, has Sharon. the blood on it and okay. has the the um the wire from where the blood pellet was <laughs> uh we have the um, the one from Ravenwood Thug Number One that Bonnie killed—the first one she killed in that montage. Um, if you coming to the door and you know her blowing him up, we have that one. And Hollywood Blood is made with um, strawberry jam too. So it's tasty. And during, well, it wasn't very tasty. It's just that during the hot first Comic Con we were at, everything melted, and and the Ravenwood uniform is all stuck together, pants and shirt. And you'd have to pry it apart. <laughs>
4: I thought you were gonna say bees. That bees came, but okay, I was wrong about that. No,
16: fortunately, we haven't had that <laughs> for a while. I had to have those uniforms separate from everything else because the blood was running for a couple of years. Uh-huh.
4: Mm-hmm. And of course, you have the you know the cool little Jericho tattoos, which I've been to plenty of comic cons where I just I've got tattoos all over me of little exploding uh, bombs. Um, and
16: yeah, we always have something to give away, and some of it's buttons, and some of it's ribbons, and some of it's the tattoos, and we had bracelets this time just for the uh, fan workers.
4: uh uh-huh. and I always get totally decked out in all the ribbons, because I, I, have, I have the Jericho season one, uh, no, the, yeah, the, I have all the seasons, I have all these colors, I'm all ribboned out, because I am an honorary ranger, correct? I still have my. Yes, rank.
16: you are an honorary ranger. Everybody, <laughs> every Jericho fan is a ranger.
4: <laughs> That's right. Everybody's a ranger. Um, and then one of the coolest things that you also have there is the tiny little model Richmond house.
7: Is that still? Oh, part yeah. Of that it?
16: was something, something my mom did. She, really? she makes. She yeah, she makes dollhouses for dollhouses. They're very miniature-scale dollhouses that you would put in another dollhouse.
4: <laughs> and does she make another smaller dollhouse to put inside that and it just keeps going? It's like one of those infinity things.
16: Uh, I don't think so. I don't think that she would have, want one that she has to make under a microscope.
4: <laughs> That's so good. That's so good.
16: But she, she loves to do mashups of houses. And so um you know, she talked. She was. We were, I was down there for Christmas, and she was telling me how she likes to make a unique house, take several kits, and make one together. And I said, "Could you make me a Richmond Ranch house?" It was the first thing that came to mind out of Jericho. <laughs> and so she said, "Well, get me some photos." So I looked up some photos and sent her some more. And she put together this kit that it looks amazingly yeah, like amazing. the house. And the photo that I sent you has the the penny in place so you can uh-huh. see the yeah. scale it is
4: but I've seen it in person many times and it's it's really it's adorable I mean I you should make a little tiny you know steamy couple just sitting there at the beginning <laughs> <laughs> I just think that's great um, okay so we know we you know we know what what brought you to loving the show we know we know what We know how you contributed to the fan campaign. Where do you think the story's going? Where do you think the Jericho story's going to go?
16: Well, I'm not sure exactly where they're going to start the branching. I'm pretty sure that it's going to go to all access because CBS did – decided to do all access because Netflix wanted Jericho. And they they were in negotiations, you know, for – jericho to move to netflix and then suddenly cbs pulled out and within six months they had announced their own service so you kind of put two and two together saying you know well jericho would be perfect i mean my um one of my descriptions on the new jericho on all access group says that you know jericho was the poster child of the new media and the darling of streaming services because both netflix and amazon wanted jericho they wanted that audience I mean, um, Walking Dead put in Lenny James because they wanted to pull the Jericho audience into Walking Dead.
4: And I'm sorry, but he's always going to be Hawkins to me. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Well,
16: I believe that Morgan's line, everything gets a return, is a nod to the Jericho fans.
4: Right. He says that in The Mm -hmm. Walking Dead, doesn't he? Crazy. I wonder,
16: and when he starts wonder, it at the wonder, end of season five, if you look at that scene very carefully, it was a standalone scene for one, and you'd swear that Lenny's talking directly to the audience. Mm-hmm.
4: <laughs> That's right. He does. When I, he, I, I could totally picture it. You're right. He goes, yeah, everything has a return. Mm-hmm.
16: Huh. And he smiles. The Lenny smile, not the Morgan smile.
4: And it's the exact same smile he gives to Jake when he's laying in the, in the plane in the very last scene. I don't know if yeah, the
16: nod to the fans. Anything yeah. about the fans? He always has this particular smile he uses.
4: <laughs> That's great. And you've actually had him at the booth before, right?
16: Mm-hmm. He stopped by the booth. Yeah.
4: Yeah, but I mean, uh, when, when he, he was there for
16: the um, he was there for the panel for um, the Jericho Comic. And um, our first comic was put out by Devil's Due Publishing, and they were kind of leery of doing the panel to begin with because they said we haven't even, you know, penned the first issue. We don't have enough stuff to do an hour-long panel. And Dan Shot says, "Don't worry, we'll just let Lenny tell stories if we run out of questions." Absolutely, <laughs> he's an amazing storyteller,
4: and he's very, very British. I don't think anybody really realizes that.
16: Mm-mm. Very British, and, you know, he can take a, a short, very short three-sentence story and just draw it out for you and bring you into it. Like the story that he tells about somebody stopped him wanting to know what was in the barrel
2: uh-huh.
16: on on Jericho, and he just draws the story out for like ten minutes before you, you figure out, you know, what he's going to tell him and and. You know what the situation was, one, because it took Lenny a few seconds when he was stopped going into a restaurant to figure out what the guy was talking about, and two because as a storyteller, he just builds the suspense
4: he's a fantastic actor uh, he's a, he is he is amazing I, I always I can recognize him it's um, by his walk. I think he has a very particular walk i mean it's funny because you know i can I can tell that it's him just by just in a as a silhouette walking, I could tell you that that was lenny james he 's just he 's very hmm. particular yeah i just i i, I don 't know if you 've ever noticed that but he's he 's very unique in just in the way he moves and in the way he gestures and you know and i don 't know how much of it is planned or how much of it is just natural with him but this man is just—he just exudes character. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's fantastic, and Jericho had him first. Walking Dead, Jericho had him first, Thank you. so he's always going to be ours. Yes, uh-huh, absolutely.
16: And now I can bring in the Walking Dead fans, but they look at this and said, "That's Morgan." And I, you know, as they're passing the table, I said, "Jericho, I'm Walking Dead without the zombies."
2: <laughs>
4: <laughs> and everybody likes. You know, if you watch Jericho, if you give it the three episodes, you know, if by some strange coincidence you're not hooked after the first one, you know, by the third one, you're I'm sure you're going to be there. So, if by some crazy reason you're still listening to this episode of Saturday Morning Serial and, and you haven't seen Jericho and it's not just completely spoiled for you, um, you know. <laughs> We want you to watch it, and, want you, and, we, and we want you to watch it numerous, numerous times because every time you click on that, whether it's Netflix or All Access or anything, people are watching, you know, and people know that we're out there. Um, do you have any words of it? Of, and not only
16: that, but you learn something new every time in the episode. There's small little things that you don't see for the first couple of times. Uh,
4: what was the last one that kind of brushed on you like that?
16: Something that um, Skyler said to Dale, I don't remember what it was now, but it was something about their interaction where I learned something about the characters that I don't remember knowing before.
4: Well, you know, and it's funny, I mean, and I, I don't want to open up this like can of worms where we're talking about all these characters because we're going to be here forever. And hopefully we're going to do another one of these shows or, or something, you know, I'm going to tease something a little bit more consistent here in the future. But, um, you know, there that's another one of those relationships and another, and, you know, he is my favorite character of the show, um, and that relationship was another one of those things where um, I I am that person sometimes too, right? I you know I you know always aching for the girl, always wanted the girl way out of my league, always wanted, and sometimes she wants you back, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you just have to keep being nice. You got to keep being there for her. You got to you know you got to you got to you got to commit. You know, and and he pursues it, and it, you know, again, spoiler alert, it works at the end. Every once in a while, the good guy gets the girl. And,
16: and not only that, but Dale's on his own journey, um, and the writers have said that. He, he's a very pivotal character.
4: Yeah, I, I don't, and I think that's my attraction to him is that, you know, he he is somebody that steps up. You know, he's not to be messed with, you know, and again, he's... He's the guy that gets beat up on in school, probably, or he gets pushed Uh around, probably. Um, But at the end of the day, you know, he's kind of a badass, you know. Obviously. In a
16: way, he's the opposite of Jake because Jake would be the one that you expect to beat up the kid in school, right. and he's the one that gets beaten up. And Jake and him have a friendship too.
4: They're they're very close in the show. I mean, there yeah, there is there is a bond with those with those two, and even uh, there's a there's a bond with him and with Mayor Green as well that I think is really really rich and. And again, guys, we can talk about this forever. Um, so hopefully let's table our conversation on him um, and just, uh, Gwen, just give us some kind of last last words, some last bits of hope, you know, something that help us end the show. What do you want us to know about Jericho? Um,
16: uh, I want us to know that there is no way the story will not continue. I mean, maybe it won't happen next year, but it will happen eventually. The post-apocalyptic genre is so hot right now. No company can going to leave Jericho on the shelf forever when they can make money off of it. Yeah,
4: yeah. And I'm in line. Take my money. I will watch <laughs> I will, you know, make yeah. little Jake figurines. I'll, I'll buy one, no problem.
16: Yeah, action figures.
4: And make some. We
16: didn't have any action figures. We need them. We need um, we one need of,
4: them.
16: The, I think you've already had Byron on, and, um, you know, he's one of the ones that's been writing articles about it. And when his, um, when he sent me the link on Friday morning of Comic Con, and we started showing it to all the people that came to the table, and it was up on Facebook. One link on Facebook got 33,000 hits. Wow. 33,000 people saw that article from one link. <laughs> I don't even know how many people saw it total.
2: Wow, that's and what,
16: And what the producers, you know, were letting us know is that, you know, the network is seeing, you know, the amount of people that are interested and what they're saying about the show. The Jericho fans are very, very excited to see their story continue. The Star Trek fans, after 50 years, are a little bit more jaded about a continuation, yeah. and they're not getting the excitement that CBS wants, you know, for a new show.
2: Yeah.
16: Jericho is giving them that excitement, well, and Jericho and, has the edge on that.
4: Yeah, and I think that there's just been a little bit of saturation on the Star Trek side, you know, and, and you know, we have, we have a hunger for for Jericho, we want Yeah, because future. our
16: story ended in a year and a half and we got nothing except the graphic novels, which really helped and certainly propelled the fans forward in, you know, interest in what happens. But Star Trek has had fifty years, so many books, so many series, so many movies, you know, and a lot of them are saying we don't want you to ruin our you know our our experience of what we know so far and we don't want you to ruin that. Yeah. And CBS has never been in charge of Star Trek before. Really? No, ever, ever all the other series went on were on different networks. CBS got it in the merger with uh Viacom buying out Paramount. Okay.
3: So they're I d- had a
16: discussion about this at the fan table at Comic-Con. Somebody was saying, "Well, I don't like them because they didn't bring Enterprise back." And I said, "But CBS didn't do Enterprise.
4: <laughs> they didn't kill Enterprise." <laughs> Why did do it? They didn't kill
16: it. They didn't do it. And then he goes, are you sure? And I said, let's pull it up on IMDb and ended, I think, in 2005. The merger took place in 2006. Mm-hmm. So your anger at C- – and this is one of my workers at CVS – is totally misplaced.
3: Yeah. <laughs> but, it, but we should have a little
4: bit because they canceled Jericho, mm-hmm. and they shouldn't have done that, and I know that they feel sorry about it. Um, and But, again, ev- ev- to, again, we could go on forever talking about this show. And whenever I stop by – I always, well, I don't always, but for the last few years I strategically I don't go to the Jericho booth until Sunday because I know that when I get there I'm going to be the, I'm going to take up all of your time. I'm there for like an hour. <laughs> so so again And guys, this
16: year especially I brought you way up to date and I you know. turned and said to me and said you hit the big time.
4: Yeah, I know. And I have told yeah, the fans that I, I totally agree, and, and and you know, like this is, this is this is something that is it's building. Um, there's a momentum to it again. Uh, we are a field, we're there's an there's an excitement level, you know, and we we want more of it. So um, with those you know brief words of hope, um, uh, uh, I do want to thank you for not just coming onto the show now, but in just keeping me engaged in the Jericho world, Um, you know, I don't know, I'm sure I would still watch it, but I wouldn't talk about it, I wouldn't, it wouldn't be alive anymore if it wasn't for you and for many of the people that are working with you and that you're there and that you're keeping this thing, You, you know, you're the one breathing life into it, you know.
16: Uh, well, I'm breathing hope into hope it. The into life it. was always there. Yeah. But our story of Jericho is about hope to begin with, so I've just continued the show's message.
4: And we, I share it with you.
16: <sighs> and look at how much we've talked about Star Trek in this, you know, this, yeah. what, 30 minutes? In this- and it's parallels to Jericho. Well, everybody thinks that it's okay to bring Star Trek back. Why don't we think that CBS is going to bring Jericho back? They are. They are. That's the it's just a matter of
4: time, and they should get to it sooner. Just a matter later. of time. Yep. Yes. Exactly. Okay. Holy Hobbits. Do you have any parting words? Any final questions for Glenn?
11: No, I think we covered it all. I mean, we just have to keep in mind that everything does have a return, as Lenny said.
4: <laughs> everything has a return, Glenn. Thank you so and much. And I want
11: to. I, uh, I want to thank Holy Hobbits for getting
16: more involved as the years go by and for being my second now and helping me run the table
4: (laughs) (laughs) your captain ranger hobbit (laughs) okay well thanks 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 again uh do do you have any words no that's good
11: i thank you for your time
4: well i think we've all had about enough of this right Everybody good? Oh
16: no, I've never had enough about Jericho.
4: <laughs> we have not had enough of this, but we're going to end the show. I'm going but... <laughs>
16: to go I'm going to go do the fan newsletter right now.
4: <laughs> well, all right. Keep me informed. Uh keep me in there and um uh, again, I wanted to thank you and I wanted to thank the the whole community that you got to call in. Uh, we're going to try to, you know, we try to use as much of the audio as possible. Um, you know, we're going to pepper in everybody into this thing. And there's going to be room if we missed anybody. We're going to do it again. Don't worry. Uh, just as Gwen said, we have not had enough of this. Okay.
16: And Jericho Rangers rule.
2: Jericho Rangers rule.
11: Now we
2: know. And knowing is half the battle. Ah, oh, this is
1: enough of this. So, Jared, uh, Joe. All right, I got it in. Got one
4: more in. Woo! Oh, Jesus, this is not enough of this. But just we do have to take an, a, a brief moment to thank everybody for joining us on this one. We actually have credits on this show. <laughs> We've never had credits. So here we go. Jason Moore, Chris Whitman, Steve Wood, Jeff Knoll, Clark E., Christy Hoover, Chris Castignetto. Uh, Gwen McKenzie, Barney Murphy, Byron Lafayette, Travis Dow, Don Braddock, Daniel Brown, Kathy Simpson, Mary, Eckers- Mary Erickson, and some of you, like Daniel Brown, the file got corrupted and you got left off i'm sorry about that and clarky e, you're <laughs> with us in spirit but you did not get interviewed because again my total incompetence <laughs> so but for all of you that joined us thanks again for all of you that wanted to be here sorry it did not work out but the show's long enough now it is enough of this
1: yeah thanks a lot guys your fandom is strong